Captain Wild Wayne Kelso. How many did you get, Wild Wayne? Five. Confirm? Well, two, maybe. Hey, sailor. Want to help your country? Yeah, you out there. You in the audience. Why don't you enlist? Today. Right now. Forget about the fitting of your new zoot suit with a dance on Friday night. Or that strawberry blonde with a permanent wave. Your country needs you, son. You gonna let her down? You think your best girl look good in a kimono? Eating teriyaki off a straw placemat? Here you go, Alwyn. I'd like to eat sauerkraut for the rest of your life. I'd like to drive to work one morning. Look out. And the street signs will be written in Japanese! Ah! Hey, men, we need you. New dames out there. There's plenty of stuff for you, broad like you to do, too, like making warheads, ordering bombing patterns, dancing with desperate dogfishes at the USO. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. I'm saying we got a great country here. We gotta keep it that way. Captain Wild Wayne Kelso, United States Army Air Corps. Say to each and every one of you, so long, Mama. I'm off to Yokohama. This Christmas, Universal Pictures and Columbia Pictures proudly prepares you for next Christmas. Steven Spielberg presents 1941, the night the rising sun fell on Hollywood. Welcome back to The Bloody Pit. This is episode number 134. And returning after uh, months away, he got to, he got a reprieve. He got to, uh, to not have to listen to me for a very long period of time because he'd been a very good boy. Uh, Mark Maddox. Mark, how are you doing? The party's over. <laughs> I'm back. Are you telling me you did 134 episodes of this show? Uh, yeah, so far, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Well, you know, you, cu- you couple that with the the hundred, I don't know how many of the Nashi cast, and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's not as many as a lot of shows do because, well, there's absolutely no way on God, God's green earth I'm going to do a weekly show <laughs> at all. Well, that's ever. like uh, Jim Ad- the show that I do with Jim Adams Monster Tech, which I don't do every episode. A lot of people know that, but I'm I'm on there quite frequently. But we've been doing it. We started it five years ago and have not missed a week, not once, even after he had his chest opened and heart surgery. Good Lord. And everything and having a bypass and all that kind of stuff, even then didn't miss an episode. So, yeah, but you got a lot going on. That's a, that's a hell of a that's a hell of a track record for both podcasts. I'm 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 pretty so. happy with it because I feel like uh I, I, I don't want to ever get to the point where I feel like the show isn't as good as I want it to be simply because I am running instead of walking. I'd rather walk and be able to, you know, make sure that I'm making the points and doing the things that I want to do, you know. Sure. But that's just well, me. Well, there is one mistake. There is one mistake okay. I'm making, though, and that is that I'm actually talking nice to you right out of the gate. So people are going, oh, oh, God. 
Mark must have cancer or something. <laughs> well, you that, know, he's trying to be nice in the last, but well, I got to get back to, to the way I normally treat you. So um, anyway, but no, seriously. But listen, you're, you're the one that, you, <laughs> as usual, I, I, I try to let the guests pick the film. And this time out, you, you latched on to the film 1941. Uh, yep. Released in 1979, to much fanfare and to many raspberries, uh, yes. it's uh, the it's uh, described as an American period war comedy film, directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, uh, with a magnificently huge cast and just a plain magnificent cast in my opinion. And um, here's here's the, I've got a number of setup questions and I'm going to start with this one. When did you first see 1941? Uh, the the weekend it came out. Oh, in December of '79. Uh, yeah, I didn't miss any of the films from that year. Matter of fact, that was a, you know, the year before we uh we had um what was it? the year before that was Superman the movie, and then before that was you know of course Star Wars uh, uh Close Encounters yeah J- Jaws and stuff like that. it was the beginning of that stuff. I I I almost even tried to do this, but I I don't. Is that if you go even the year before that. The Towering Inferno was like the end of the gigantic, colossal Hollywood, old Hollywood system movie. Yeah. And, but amazingly done by two studios, uh, which was kind of, I don't think, I don't think that had been done before. So, but anyway, so that comes along. Then Jaws comes along, the connecting thread being the bigness and John Williams and things like that. And then you get to Jaws and then you get to, but then at that, that, that Christmas was, and I'm going to say this, but I've got, a thing to attack on the end of it okay. is that the 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 year of 1979 had a bunch of really huge films that I think it was the the time when it goes okay now you guys are shoveling films out to us that are huge big budget after Star Wars and Close Encounters and Superman for that matter but now you're making now you're trying and testing the waters and there is failure Oh well, yeah. With, there was going to be, but there was going to be backlash eventually, no matter what. Well, but there's, but there's still there's some of the some of the uh, plots are a little more wild, and some of the stuff is a little different. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the, the the last part of that extended sentence. I love every one of those films that came out that year. I love Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Moonraker. I love The Black Hole. I love 1941. Are they great movies no but there's greatness in them i and there's one or two i'm i'm thinking, oh alien well then there's alien and dawn of the dead those are actually <laughs> those are actually the winners i would say <laughs> and and but but still all those films i love i own blu-rays of every one of them and uh, i know that finally they got the money for the director's cut of uh, 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 to go to Blu-ray of Star Trek the motion picture which, which I'm very I, excited about because I've, I've had the DVD ever since they put that 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 corrected director's edition out years ago and it's like and good. it was good yeah. it was really good it was really really good I think it improved the film I still love that first cut but I like the director's cut better yeah and our buddy that comes to uh, to Wonderfest Darren Docterman uh, has had a hand in that had a hand in the original one and he's going to have a hand in this one well, as far as I'm concerned, that's fantastic news, especially given the fact that about two years ago, I lost my copy of the director's cut. I can't find it in this house any goddamn place. So uh, <laughs> maybe the dogs ate it. Goddamn dogs. No, but um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, I mean, so I'm excited about. It. So 
1941 comes out right around the same time as that chunk of Christmas films. Well, let me uh, let me ask this question though. I mean, did you like it then? I, I liked every one of those films then. Okay, the one okay. the one that I would say is the weakest of that group is the Black Hole. But having said that, it's visually so beautiful. The acting, I blame the director for the acting because we've got good actors in there. The story is uh, whatever. The story and is the, half-baked and they had no ending. Half-baked and a really bad ending and people climbing on the outside of a spaceship with no suits because the director said, we want to see who's doing what, so don't put spacesuits on these people. Which is just, it's like, do you understand anything about science at all? We're already pushing the limits of what people are going to believe with a ship, people climbing outside of a ship uh, that's falling apart with a, a black hole pulling it in. Right. Now you're going to have them without. And it's like, wow, that's pretty bad. But still, I love just watching the film. I love looking at the ships. I love looking at the black hole. I mean, I just, I still love the film. But I'm not going to sit there and give it a on a scale. I'm not giving it a scale of 1 to 10. I'm not giving it a 10 for, <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Well, here's the thing about about 1941 is, of course, I didn't see it until uh, it uh, came, uh, came to cable, I'm assuming. I can't remember exactly how I saw it. But uh, it was definitely on television. And I got to say, I loved it the first time I saw it because to me, you know, I'm a teenager when I see it. And to me, it is absolutely mind-bendingly hilarious. And yeah. so all of the complaints about it, all of the bitching and moaning about it, uh, went right by me because I'm not paying attention to any of that stuff at the time. I'm just watching a movie that is making me laugh a lot. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, it was years later that I realized, it, you know, why they were, you know, why they made such a big, you know, super complicated, completely insane comedy film of this size with this many characters and this much, you know, this this many different moving pieces essentially that essentially this was the them trying to do a version of it's a mad 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 world exactly and that's what that's what i was going to say this they should be on a double bill but then you'd be there for seven years watching. yeah you you, you, <laughs> could, you could you couldn't do that you can't there's just yeah, no yeah, way to do yeah, that it's yeah. too it, it's too freaking long but yeah. at the same time i did it, it doesn't matter because my initial reaction to it was holy crap this is hilarious and uh, it's 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 good to me. It's good to know that it didn't take very many years after its, and it be air quotes failure because monetarily it didn't actually fail. It just was considered a failure because the previous two movies that Spielberg made essentially you know made enough money to buy the planet Earth and move yeah. it to another solar system. Yeah, uh, I mean because this movie costs like thirty five mil. And made ninety-five mil, so it didn't lose money by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But it was con- it, it was considered by uh, critics and by a large subset of the of the the, the movie-going public to be a disaster because I just it, it's it's really out of step with the way comedies were being produced at the time. I mean, it's not you're not going to find anything in nineteen seventy-nine or nineteen seventy-eight or nineteen eighty that looks, feels, and sounds. It's, my God, even smells for some for some for some reason like yeah. this movie. Nineteen forty one is a movie that seems like it is out of time. It is a piece done with a, a consummate amount of skill. So many brilliant technicians. I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of them. So so many yeah. insanely talented people worked on this movie on every level to the yes. point where it is extraordinarily well produced. 
well made on every fucking level. And yeah. that is what play, that's what comes to the fore over time. Uh, yeah. People dis- people discuss it now as one of those great films that Spielberg made, and some of them to this day are not do not realize that it wasn't considered, you know, the next big thing from Spielberg at the time. He had to prove himself with his next movie in a way that he probably wouldn't have had to if this movie had not been considered such a fucking disaster at the time it came out. Yeah. The movie, the comedy king at that time, I think, uh, was uh, probably Neil Simon. And that was very different. Well, there were th- I would say there were three at the time. Okay, go ahead. You got Woody Allen, you got Mel, you got Mel Brooks, and you got Neil Simon. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Mel, but but Woody Allen's always been with us. I mean, he's True. he was there in the '60s and still is is still going. Whereas uh, Neil Simon kind of come and gone in some ways. I I I haven't I don't remember the last time they made a Neil Simon film, and some of them are kind of hard to watch. Some of them are the the jokes really really uh, don't work. Now the other night, my son and I sat down and watched Peter Falk. I've been on a Peter Falk binge lately and watched The Cheap Detective, oh, good and there stuff. was some damn good funny yeah. funny laugh. And I and I, it's been decades since I've seen Murder by Death. It makes me want to go back and watch that again. But um, and there and Goodbye Girl. I remember what, how big that was when it came out yeah. and everything. But I I still think that this was almost a wacky a wacky this is a wacky movie this is a wacky and the one that i think that came after this that was kind of like it in a way but better was um the blues brothers i think that that, i think that i think that it still kind of almost feels like it could they could almost be on a double bill true it'd be too long once again too long but yeah not for me and you we'd sit there Get some more popcorn, Rodney. Yes, sir. It'd be, it'd and, be about six it, hours. <laughs> it'd be about six hours. Uh, yeah, well, that, and then and then right after that, the third film is uh, the complete Russian war and peace. So we'll be there. <laughs> we'll see. We'll be there. Our, our women will come by and pick us up uh, in the morning. You know. But anyway. Um, but so this movie, and and yes, when you said it's a mad, 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 mad world, I thought I've always thought this is 1979's. It's a mad, 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 mad world. It is not as good as it's a mad, 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 mad world. I, I think that that to me well, really is the super colossal wacky comedy that for me. I'm gonna is, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to branch off from you a little bit there because I actually enjoy this movie more than Mad, 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 Mad World. Uh, and the reason is very simple. Um, what the 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 one problem that I've always had with Mad, 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 Mad World is there are two. It's Mad, Mad World was built to be seen on the big screen. Okay? And by that by that I mean it shot super wide. Now don't get me wrong, yes, 1941 very is, much, very 41 much is so, shot yes. wide, but it's shot yeah. super wide. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that hampers some of the great comedy in that movie and kind of undermines some of the uh, some of the incredible comedic performances in Mad World is that you don't have enough close-ups of these funny people. And so on the big screen, it probably plays better because they're 40 feet high. Well, here's what I do. And you're talking about a technical issue yeah, as yeah. to the actual thing. It's uh, My family and I watch, 
well, we watched 1941 a bunch. The kids love it. You know, my family, my brothers and sisters love it. Uh, nieces love it. But they, we also feel the same way about it's a mad, mad world. But what we do is we have a really giant ass television set. Right, which is and which is all well criterion, and good, and we've got the Criterion Blu-ray. But it's not it's not just the size of the screen, though. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's that's part well, of it. Another part of it is that Spielberg understands in his direction that he's gonna need that he's gonna need to get he's gonna need to get those actors' faces closer up in the image a lot. I of the time. I, I think I think that maybe you could consider the 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 um, oh god I can't believe I forgot his name one of my favorite directors who directed Mad Stanley Kramer Stanley Kramer thank you very much uh, Stanley Kramer handled it a little bit more like uh, uh, I forgot the other fucking director's name the one who did Mash Robert Robert Altman, Altman yes. Is is that he puts he he films them like a play? Yes, I yes, dear listener, I, I I now function as Maddox's as my Google. That <laughs> my walking. I'm going to change your name to IMDb. Oh, but anyway, God. um, but the thing is, is that so? Yeah, we're going to back and forth whether or not I find that Mad Mad World is is the better film of the two. I think that well, I'm I not think saying that, it's a better or worse film. I'm saying I enjoy 1941 a lot more. Well. No, you actually say you enjoy it a lot more. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do, and a, a lot of it is just personal, uh, per- personal, personal love of the look of 1941. There's a, there's a, there's a lush cinematography. Well, that's still that modern. That's you're talking 1964. Right. I mean, Mad 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 World is is shot out, shot out of doors most of the time, uh, in, in in stark sunlight. Uh, you know, get- and here's one thing that makes that superior. This is what I explained to a lot of people. Like one time, I was at the movie theater in Atlanta at the Silver Screen Spook Show, and they put on uh, Die Monster Die. Uh, and I'm like, I've seen this movie a million times, but I'm gonna head on down there and watch it. I'm watching it, and I'm getting a very, very different feel than I ever had from watching it on television, Blu-ray, DVD, whatever it was. Is the fact that the outdoor shots with Boris Karloff, even though he's in the shade, looks like it was shot last week. That's the bizarreness of sunlit photography, especially restored. And it's a mad, 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 mad world now back to its original glory looks like it was shot last week and that those people have costumes on making them look like they're from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I mean, it's unbelievable how good looking that film is now and how sunlight doesn't change. Lighting changes. Technicolor, Fred and Ginger, or not Fred and Ginger, but Fred and Rita Hayworth, or Singing in the Rain, Technicolor. Oh, well, well, wait a minute. You may, you may, I think you, you're thinking that I'm critiquing something that I'm not. Uh, the reason I... No, no, I'm trying to get back to the point that Spielberg was using the, the, the 1979 technology, which was more advanced, but they used... No, I mean, it, what I'm saying is even more basic than that. What I'm okay. talking about, it, one of the reasons that I like 1941's look more than I like Mad 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 Mad's world, Mad, uh, the Mad World, is no, because no, no, no. so much of 1941 takes place at night, and it's bookended by day. It starts in the daylight. Yeah, that's a, yeah, the that's vast true. majority of the movie takes place that night, and then the ending, we're back to daylight. We we get to dawn, and yeah, and it's all yeah. of that happening at night. It's the lush. The lush photography, the incredibly detailed sets, all of the stuff happening at night—I prefer that look. I don't. I, I just do. 
Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean, to, I didn't mean I, to monkey wrench you there, sorry. No, no, I think what I think of, also, too, it's like the same thing when you watch the, the Indiana Jones films, uh, especially the first three. Yeah. And that is Spielberg films like a romantic. Yes, exactly. I wouldn't say that Stanley Kramer necessarily felt photographs like a romantic. No. He, I mean, look, look at his other films, his other masterpieces. Look at, look at Judgment of Nuremberg and... And guess who's coming to dinner and stuff like that? Where you well, that's just it. it. He's, he's using straight. the same right. He's using on Mad Mad World. He's using the same uh, directing technique that yeah. he used on Judgment in Nuremberg, which is don't get me wrong, it's a choice. It's yeah. just not it, it to me. It's a choice that puts some distance between you and the funny in several scenes mm. uh, because he's got he's using that wide screen to keep all the characters on screen. And sometimes you're missing some of the really funny reactions because the screen is so wide, you're focusing on the people who are talking and not the people who... Comedy is a lot about reaction. As a matter of fact, it's almost all about reaction. Somebody getting hit in the, in, somebody getting hit, hit in the face with a skillet is either tragic or funny, and it all depends on the yeah. reaction the other characters have. But if you aren't seeing the other characters, you, you would see it in a movie theater because the screen would be gigantic. But uh, no matter how big your screen is at home, you're not necessarily concentrating on the entire image and you're missing some of the funny reactions, some of the stuff that tells you what you're seeing is funny rather than tragic. And uh, there's there's uh, it, it, that's why, like, like I say, that's another reason why I prefer 40, 1941 to Mad World is just that Spielberg knew <laughs> that some of this stuff was so absurd and the point of it had to be the reactions. We have to get these insane Well, he reactions. also composed a little bit more, for lack of a better term, he composed a little more Jack Kirby-ish where here's a close-up of a face and here's a person away off in the distance right. and here's a fist coming at you and all that. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting and aside, because uh, I think this, I, I don't want this episode to turn into three hours of you and me trying to say which film's better. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, uh, that's, that's hardly the point, yeah. Yeah, but but the thing is, um, I saw Mad, 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 Mad World. <laughs> I saw it, <laughs> I saw it when I was really little. I mean, I don't think, I know it wasn't that initial release, because I think what it came out the week after Kennedy got shot or something like that, or before he got shot, and then they pulled it, because who the fuck wanted to laugh at that point? And then they re-brought it out, I think so. I think, didn't they bring it out like a year later or something? I wasn't there something what like that? I the timeline was, but it was a weird, yeah, it was a weird release schedule, yeah. So I had never seen a wacky comedy, right? Uh, my parents take me to the movie theater to watch this film, and probably my brothers and sisters, but I remember watching it, and I could not remember what this film was for years until I saw it finally on television. But I remember these cars running uh, uh going through you know chasing each other and running through the mountains and people right. acting crazy and all that kind of stuff now here's the funny thing but this is absolutely true because and because humor is kind of a learned thing it's like somebody can see somebody slip on a banana peel and go oh my god are you all right but you some people can watch it in a film and go oh that's pretty funny but you it's like the first time i ever saw monty python it's like, I didn't think they were funny. Second time I watched them, didn't think they were funny. Third time, I thought they were a little funny. Fourth time, eh, kind of funny. Fifth, sixth time, something like that. Oh, holy crap, this is hilarious. You see what I'm saying? It's like you kind of get what they're doing. You get it. Well, I'm watching this movie. I've never seen a film like it. 
I thought it's a mad, 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 mad world at the age of probably five years old. I thought it was a drama. Well, yeah. If you don't have, I if you don't drama, have any, I thought these yeah. hostile people were trying to do each other over. I didn't even understand probably the concept. Of, I just remember the cars chasing each other and getting in the plane and yelling it and yelling and screaming. And that is definitely something that this movie has in common with 1941 is the people yelling and screaming. Oh, and one other film that kind of is almost a, a lily pad in between those two films that I absolutely love, uh, which is kind of almost of the same ilk, is uh, The Great Race. Uh, yeah. Is, is same kind type, of, same type fits of film. In that giant, giant comedy. Giant comedy. Uh, and you can make comedies for nothing. You can have two people in a room talking and make a comedy. Yep. You know? But these were the big ones. Anyway, so in this film, in, in 41, there is so much... There, everybody's nuts. Everybody, except for Tashira Mafuni, everybody's an idiot, and even he's kind of an idiot too. When you think well, about, yeah, it. when you think about his motivation, why he won't just go home, yeah. Well, I mean, pointing at the thing and thinking it's an industrial complex or whatever, and it's a Ferris wheel. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's. I mean, he, but he's still pro- him and General Stillwell are probably the two most sane guys in the film. True. And and the rest of everybody else is an idiot whether you're Japanese or 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 white or black or what everybody's just crazy. It's a it's a level playing field of idiocy. Uh, except for Eddie Deason, who's even more idiotic than everybody else in the film, who I absolutely love. He's in insane film. and he's awesome in this. I need yeah. an Eddie Deason t-shirt. By the way, he is—he lives back in my, uh, my my mother's hometown. He is from Cumberland. My mother was born, raised in Cumberland. I lived in Cumberland, and Eddie Deason lives in Cumberland. Wow. We're moving back to where he was, uh, where he lived as a child. So that's cool. I need an Eddie Deason T-shirt. Is what I need with him, <laughs> uh, him, him standing there looking down the barrel of the gun. You know when they put him up in the Ferris wheel. But this movie has a lot of people yelling at each other, a lot of explosions. It's got, you know, the the basic premise: war nerves. We're worried about the Japanese yeah. uh, attacking right after they've attacked Pearl Harbor, and there was that kind of a, that, that feeling at the time. But this takes it, ramps it way up. Everybody's lost their mind, and everybody's skittish and nervous, and and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, I mean, it's the perfect setup for a, a completely spastic, insane comedy. And like, like I say, I mean, this is this is almost the perfect example of how to do something like this because all of the pieces, I find each individual group of characters funny for the for for various reasons. Yeah. And even in the long cut, as a matter of fact, I think the long cut is the better version of the film because all of the pieces fit together and kind of dovetail into each other so perfectly that when you get to the end, it does, you do feel like, you know, everything's wrapped up and it feels like you've achieved some kind of catharsis. It feels like we actually, that the characters did manage to accomplish something, even though they accomplished absolutely nothing. (laughs) Right. They they all they accomplished was to destroy huge chunks of L.A. and uh, not that's it. That's what they that's what they did. The, the only thing that happened really of of uh, anything that would be considered good for any of the characters is our buddy, our uh, zoot suit wearing dancer. Basically, this guy uh, likes this one girl who's from a from a well to do family that lives down at the coast. And he 
uh, wants comes to into dance. His own. He comes into his own. He, he wants becomes... to come, even in the stupidity, and even he is stupid. Now, in the in the cut, in the in the original cut, which was surprising to me, he was a bit underhanded, like stealing his zoot suit uh, by using an air raid siren. Him and his buddy, yeah, uh, and and everything. But ultimately, he was a pretty good guy. Uh, and had to fight the big bad wolf, which in this case was um, a, Treat Williams. a Treat Williams, who was really, uh, you know, really good in his part. He was a good scumbag. I mean, I, I don't think uh, Treat ever did another character quite like that or anywhere near that. He's well, usually the character he plays. I mean, let's let's be honest. He's an out and out monster, and a, he is a would be rapist by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. A bully, a rapist, a scumbag. Um, some of the things in this movie that make me very happy are some yelling and screaming. <laughs> hey, you better get, get better get your eye back on your work, or you're gonna not be late for the dance tonight. Wah! I mean, there's so many uh, things in this film. My niece uh, went crazy for this film about 20 years ago, and every time we see each other, we just quote this film all the time. Just you know, uh, and and doing the voices and Hollywood and and all that. The uh, you know, it starts off with an homage to Jaws, where in 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 the case of it's the same blonde young lady that got killed by the shark, and Jaws runs down to the water. Yep. Part of the part of the polar bear club, which anytime you see anybody swimming out in California waters, they've got one of those scuba suits on, you know. And uh-huh. here's this woman go, jumping out there in the water, and you hear the the Jaws theme. And the next thing you know, there's the periscope of a submarine coming up in between her legs as it's rising to the surface, grabs her, and she's sitting on top of this thing, butt naked, uh, while these guys come out and are, are are trying to make their plans to attack Hollywood. Which Christopher Lee then comes out, even though he's the only uh, a German on a uh, on a submarine of Japanese, and uh, tries to explain to them that Hollywood is inland uh, by quite a ways that you're not going to be able to attack it. But I love just the fact that he goes, "We're just we're just here to attack attack Hollywood." But uh, you know, but if you you know you love Jaws, you got several actors from Jaws in the movie. Yeah, well, uh, quite, quite, quite a few. Yeah, yeah. There's so much screaming in this movie that even at the end of the film, when they sh- show you everybody, I'd say about seventy percent of them are in a screaming scene. Yeah, uh, which is which is why that supercut at the end is so is so amazing. Because if you've forgotten that, here you go. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but yeah, I mean. Um, oh, I gotta say that there I, is. You know, earlier we were talking about how. Um, it's the reactions of other characters that tell you whether or not something is funny or not. Yeah. Uh, well, something that, uh, you know, once you, what, the thing is, once you know, if you sit down and you know you're watching a comedy, you're already primed to laugh. So yeah. a lot of your work is done is if you sit down knowing that what you're watching is a comedy. So yes. that's fine. That's good. But I have to tell you that I've now, I now know too much about this movie in, in that, that there's something that I've always found absolutely fucking hilarious in this movie that now just makes me wince in pain. And you may know what I'm talking about, which is the scene where J- John Belushi uh, slips and falls off the the wing of his plane and hits the ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a real fall, and he hurt himself pretty bad, was in the hospital for weeks. Oh, wow. I See, I did not know that. 
Yeah, and so yeah. That, it's one of those things where I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry to everyone listening, but if you, st- I, I'm, I'm sure that I will eventually get to the point where I don't wince and realize oh, yeah, that's when Mr. Belushi had to be in the hospital for about. Are three you talking weeks. about where he lands in that 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 field in Pomona or whatever they've got? Uh, yeah, yeah, and he's talking to uh, Colonel uh, Madman Maddox. <laughs> yeah, we were, yeah, exactly. That's my father. My, that's my, my father next was stop. watching that movie with me when it was still pretty brand new, and they go, "We got a General Madman Maddox," and my dad just goes, "Ha!" <laughs> I think he was proud just to have somebody being a general, you know. But well, I just, I love the, let's talk about the character names for a minute. Madman, Madman, Madman Maddox, Wild Bill Kelso, Blue, Blue Tarski, or whatever his name was. Or, S- no, Satarski. S- Satarski. I'm getting Bluto mixed up with it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, <laughs> There is so much goofball goofiness in this movie with with names, with uh-huh. yelling. Um, I, it's funny for some reason now that we're doing a podcast, so much is flying out of my head, and I'm like, "Oh my god, Mark, you're you're killing it, you're ruining it." Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I've got so much to say about every single scene. Like when the guys are in the back cooking breakfast for people, and yeah, the guy goes to pour a, a thing of, of coffee or whatever. Like the whole pot dumps on all over the cups and everything. There's food going in the in the water. There's plates flying through the air. The guy's trying to dance at the same time because he's got to go to the big jitterbug contest and all that. And then they've got the oh the character actor who, who, who you know who's in there yelling at him and stuff. Oh, Dub, goes, it's Dub Taylor, yeah. Yeah, and he goes, uh, he's got to dance tonight. He's got to do the jitterbug contest. He goes, jitterbug hell, get back there and kill them cockroaches in the. In the <laughs> yeah, that. I, I mean, uh, Dub Taylor is so he was always so wonderful <laughs> and just he's such an asshole in this character. And our and our zoot suit loving guy is out there dancing around the table serving people. Of course, who's in there? It's 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 uh it's uh, Dan Aykroyd and. It's Treat Williams and it's Mickey Rourke and it's John Candy. John Candy. Most yeah. these people, you know, if you knew comedy at the time, you you knew who these people were, especially like SNL and stuff like that. But for most of us, I'm not saying that was the first time I'd ever seen Dan Aykroyd because it wasn't. But John Candy and Treat Williams, that might have been the first time I ever saw them, and Mickey Rourke. Oh well, definitely Mickey Rourke. Yeah, I mean, was, this was his film. This was his first film. So yeah, and uh, this is. Way before people, you got to look at what he looked like before he got the living hell beat out of him in boxing. But he, uh, but they're in there and they don't like the fact that our dancing, you know, waiter is uh, has got you know a beautiful, brightly colored uh, uh, Hawaiian shirt with a yep. you know boat on it, and they're they're pissed off because they're ready to fight a war and all that, and so they start, you know, humiliating, they trip him and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> One of the funniest lines in the movie. He jumps up, and his buddy throws this turkey leg at him. And John Kennedy goes, "Watch it! He's got a leg." I mean, <laughs> yes, just, I know it's ridiculous. Watch it's, it. He's got a leg. That is just—it's so it's funny. Ridiculous. It is so funny. Um, you know, you're watching—you're watching multiple stories going on at the same time. You're, All at the same time, and it, they're introducing characters, multiple characters, at a pace that is completely insane. Yeah. You've got. Um, are, are one of my favorite uh, voices in the animated world, uh, Tim. Uh, Tim. Tim Matheson. Yeah. Tim. God, I am really getting old. Tim Matheson uh, <laughs> of Johnny Quest fame and a lot of other things after that too. Oh well, yeah. Uh, and and uh, he, he's basically understands that he's a general's aide, and what he's uh, understands is is that Nancy Allen gets turned on 
by airplanes. Military airplanes, I'm assuming, is what really turns her on and that kind of stuff. And he's trying to do his damnedest to get her in a plane. He doesn't really want to fly her, but get her in a plane so he can have sex with her. And she is wary of him and all that kind of stuff, knows what he's doing, but she still wants to get in a plane. And it gets to a point where they actually do have to take off. But yep. But it is so funny, the interplay between, you know, uh, you know, General Stillwell played by blah, 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 by I know all these names. General Stillwell is Robert Stack. Robert Stack. Uh, and, and like I said, once again, he's he's the voice of reason through a lot of this film. And uh, you've got beautiful shots here of this, uh, you know, this airfield you know military planes out there and everything hell i think i've probably even seen that the 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 big plane that they were in originally out here at the airport i think they brought it here once but um uh you know and while they're while he's trying to make his moves on her she accidentally throws a lever and, and a bomb hits the ground and rolls up and explodes in front of a car and blows everything up um one thing, yeah. Just after Stillwell has promised the gathered be, reporters, there will be no bombs dropped here. Be no bombs dropped here. Uh, this movie throws money at the audience. It, oh yeah. It it works on so many levels of whether it's Ned Beatty's house and what happens to it, which we will <laughs> yes. discuss as we get further along. The crashing of John Belushi's airplane, which I think, if I remember correctly, it cost a million dollars to crash it one time and they had to crash it twice if i remember correctly oh god just the crashing uh, sliding uh, flying that thing or whatever they did dropping it off of a greased ramp yeah to where it it hit the ground and uh you know like linda uh i don't think she's seen the movie since probably it originally came out probably didn't even remember it but you know today i said hey you want to see a million bucks (laughs) <laughs> and I showed her that, and I, and I said, and then at the end with, with Ned Beatty's house, it's like, you want to see something expensive? Look at this. And this is the CGI. Uh, nobody knew how to spell CGI at the time. I mean, it was really all incredible set pieces, uh, large and small, uh, incredible miniatures. Uh, you know, I, I oh, don't the know. miniature work in this, the, the miniature work in this. Oh my God! Is amazing. All of that stuff at the end with the two planes chasing each other through uh, through the air over the city sure. is just mind-bendingly wonderful. The buildings are beautifully lit. Uh, you've got yeah. the arc lights going through the night sky. You've got the mountains back behind Los Angeles. You've got um, you've got this uh, at the end. A lot of the uh, the, the climax of the film basically takes place at an amusement park right out there at the water, and the Japanese are firing bombs at it, firing missiles at it, uh, 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 you know, trying to, uh, uh, you know, knock out what they think is an industrial complex, but is in fact an amusement park. You've got um, crazy car chases. You've got airplane stuff uh, with uh, Wild Bill Kelso, John Belushi's plane. Now, one of the things is when he gets introduced, he lands on the highway, which actually is yes. the same little tiny strip of of highway 
that where Dennis Weaver pulls up to the ladies' place that has all the rattlesnakes and stuff in Duel. It's the same place. Yep, it's and, the same place. And the, same actress. Same actress uh, paying homage to if it really at the time wasn't that old i mean that was only about seven years 71 yeah 71 and this is 70 so we're eight eight years different or whatever and she was there in the film and uh which you know one day you and i can do a show on duel i mean that's just just a great movie freaking amazing uh and uh uh but in this case he's he makes fun of himself you know, John Belushi yep. runs into the place. The plane's still going. He jams a, a, a you know, a, a, it's a gas pump. He, he starts pumping gas into the plane, and he runs inside. And Elisha Cook Jr. is there eating spaghetti, hanging off of this fork, whatever, <laughs> looking all vagrant or whatever. And uh, Belushi I, says, I just describe. I would just describe him as looking all Elijah Cook Jr. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, too, because he only looks like two days have passed since Blackula. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? I looked at him. I said, you know, he really there hasn't been much aging for him, given the fact that that's probably no. about eight years, too. But yep. uh, and I love the guy. I mean, we had just gotten done watching some bogey films with him in him when he was real young. And uh, and but he says, he goes, well, um, there isn't really any problem with the Japanese attacking. Oh, this is this a case of war nerves. And, and, and then John Belushi gets pissed and shoots the radio. But I love I actually you know, went back real quick a couple, and watch, watch Elisha Cook, watch him sort of snap to that explosion when that radio blows up. I mean, he yep. is really good in that. And Belushi gets some supplies, basically steals them, shoves them in his jacket, goes running. Back. Well, I don't think that's just it. He's doing that, but I don't think he manages to to get out with any of them because then the plane starts going off on its own. Well, and he chases I after it. I, he I don't think he got anything. In his jacket, but then he runs outside. And goes, you know, he sees the plane literally start to pull away from the gas pump and start rolling down the road on its own. Chases it. Now, this is the expense of this film. He's running down there. I actually thought about before we even started this thing tonight. I was actually going to take a screen capture uh, that I'd send to you. If you want to plug it in someplace to us doing this, doing this, uh, you know, when you when you advertise it or whatever, is okay. that picture of him running, firing his gun in the air with that entire building <laughs> blowing up behind him because the, yes. the gas pump falls on the ground. He shoots the gun in the air. The it hits the power utility pole. The oh, it's a big Rube, Rube Goldberg uh, madness. It yeah. really is, you know, and he's running all bow legged with his jobber pants and the giant leather boots and the and the uh, scarf, you know, flying back behind him. But, um, you know, I mean, the whole movie is that. The whole movie is that kind of stuff. I mean, there's the, the quietest thing in the movie is, you know, probably the guy in the zoot suit hi- hiding up in the uh, in the loft inside the garage, hiding from Ned Beatty and uh, and Treat Williams. Uh, yeah. You know, while uh, Treat Williams is making moves on his girlfriend, you know, I mean, that's probably the quietest thing. There may be a few other moments in the film, but the movie is about uh, decadence. Uh, you know, cin- cinema decadence. Yeah, cinema decadence. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you're right. But uh, just out of curiosity, uh, one little one little side element of this of this film that I don't I I know that a lot of people don't talk about uh, for whatever reason. Uh, it, there was some controversy about it at the time. But did you ever read the uh, the illustrated version that came out? Oh yeah, I had that for years. Uh, it was uh, wasn't it Steve Bissett was one of Steve Bissett and Rick Vetch. Vetch, uh, however you say. It. Is it is it Vetch? You know I what? Know. I don't actually know. Uh, I, I I don't. I had it. It was a, it was its own thing. 
I know that Spielberg was it's very unhappy about it. He he wrote him a, like a very short little letter. I think I even saw it posted on Facebook one time. That what Spielberg well, has well, said is sort of like, uh, what's this got to do with the movie? <laughs> you know? Oh well, that's just it. It is the movie. It, it it really is. It's just the movie ramped up to eleven, R rated, and every every uh, distasteful thing within it underlined. Well, that's exactly what it is. Well, I mean, you're talking about uh, when you get a group of people together like John Milius and and uh, and 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 Bob Zemeckis who could be off the chain. The thing about this movie, and by the way, uh, I don't know if anybody understands this or not. Sometimes Rodney and I disagree on things. <laughs> sometimes we disagree on things. But I'll tell you, sometimes we really agree on things. And like like the time that you and I talked about how much, much more we prefer Mars Attacks to Independence Day. This, yeah. this is one of those moments where we both love this movie. The whole thing about the Mad, 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 Mad world is just a comparison between the two. But... I asked for this show because I love this movie. Rodney loves this movie, and we don't give a fuck whether you love this movie or not. I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you can show, you write us. Like you movie. can write us and say how much you like it. But if you want to write us to say how much you, Larry Hama, who put on his Facebook page one time, because I love when you come to my page and when I'm done telling you everybody something that I love, you tell me how much you hate it. Well, let me go ahead and let me get ahead of the curve here and tell you to fuck off right now. Okay. That's one thing I love about this show over being uh, over monster tag is I can tell you to fuck off. Okay. So anyway, now that we've got that cleared up. Yes. Um, now I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, was it about the, the illustrated version? The here, illustrated let me help version. the, let me help the old man back to where okay. he insults uh, yes, me about you. something specific. Hey, there. Hey, come on. Old, come on. You old useless. Hey, my walker. Anyway, I, what I was saying is that if you literally look at how it was written, what originally was supposed to happen in the original mm-hmm. drafts of this film, and I'm sure you know these already, right? Like the ending, the original ending of the film, which is freaking insane. You do, well, you do know what it is, go, go, right? Go ahead, go ahead and spell it out. You want me to spell it out? You want me to tell you the Yeah, ending? yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let, let people know. Well, apparently in the original draft – they uh, the boyfriend did not get the girl that he wanted to be with and all that kind of stuff and he was mad and the last thing you see and this is pretty crazy this is where i think this is where i'm going to say i suggest other directors to have directed this not steven spielberg that's why the ending isn't anything like this is that he he's the guy that throws the lever and drops the atomic bomb on hiroshima as kind of as (laughs) revenge for not getting the girl that he wanted which to me speaks of heavy black comedy Heavy. Well, not only not only that, it speaks to me uh, heavily of uh, uh, young men trying to be nihilistic. <laughs> That's what yeah, that sounds like. Yeah, to me. and I think it's trying to be edgy. Well, I think that, and I, I'm pretty certain I heard this that Milius and Zemeckis, when they found out Spielberg was attached as the director, they knew so much of what they were going to do wasn't going to happen. So oh, yeah. let's go to a different reality. Let's go to one of the five million billion trillion realities that are actually ha- have actually happened. Somebody else in another reality did direct 1941, uh, Kubrick or or some Brian De Palma. Uh, I don't know if Brian De Palma can do black comedy per se. I know. I know. We no, know Kubrick, uh, yeah. he, he made he made a couple he made a couple of shots at it with that uh, that gangster comedy in the late '80s, which was okay, but yeah. Which black comedy was a gangster comedy that was okay? Oh, uh, the one with uh, oh my god! Now I'm now now I'm blank. You're not saying uh, the Untouchables, are you? No, of course not. Jesus uh, Christ! I was getting ready to climb through this Skype 
blind. Are you telling me that you seriously don't know the film I'm talking about? Hang on a second. Gangster, 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 Brian De Palma. What, what? I mean, I'm thinking about the fact that What's-His-Face from The Exorcist tried to do a black comedy with uh, Chevy Chase doing arm sales, and that was a complete disaster. Deal of the Century, that was a disaster. Oh, Deal of the Century. No, I'm not talking about Deal of the Century. And you're I'm talk- talking about Wise Guys from 1986. See, I never saw it. Never saw it. Uh, it's, it is... Well, let's just put it this way. I think you should see it because it's interesting. Because look at it this way. Danny DeVito, Joe Piscopo, Harvey Keitel, Ray Sharkey, mm. Lou Albano, Dan Hedaya. Uh-huh. Uh, it's basically uh, a black a black comedy about mafia people. Yo, I remember the film coming out. I do yeah. remember it. Um, I just I, maybe I'll try to check it out. Uh, well, it's well, I'm not I'm not giving it a recommend. I'm saying you would be curious. You need to about check it. it. Yeah. You need to check yeah. it out. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, look how many movies, <laughs> how many movies can you sit there and say absolutely avoid it at all costs? I don't know. Oh well, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, di- no. I'm saying dial down your expectations. Sure, sure. But what's but, 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 but here's what's what's wild is that sandwiched between in Brian De Palma's career, it's sandwiched sandwiched between Body Double and The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, wow. So yeah, this guy doesn't have a comedic touch. Who could have known? <laughs> you know, well, um, let me see this real quick. I'm looking for. I mean, he's he's good. He's good with dark. Humorous things within a thriller. Right. That he's good. That he's good at. You can look at uh, things. You can look at uh, Carrie and Dress to Kill, Blowout, uh, Body Double, all those movies, and you can see how he handles comedy. You know, arch comedy, dark comedy, subtle comedy at times. Where you, I hate to say it, but a large proportion of the audience would probably not grok what was going on at a certain level. Yeah, and you can see him—he can pull that off very effectively. Right. But at the same time, uh, you know, Wise Guys is not that. Wise Guys is a comedy. So yeah, I'm trying to think of who could have directed 1941 or what it would have been called back then at the time, which is uh, you know, uh, you know thrown out well, a long time ago called and I will say this name only for historical purposes the night the Japs attacked and it's yeah. it's one of those things where I think the only person that I can even think of off the top of my head who could direct it would have been Kubrick well, or, here's the or thing. John Milius himself well, I was, I was going to suggest a slightly different direction in, the, in that category which would be uh, what if Bob Zemeckis was able to get behind the director's chair? And that was with the, this. that was my third. Was since yeah. he wrote it, he knew where he was going. He's 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 running this film in his head. Yeah. When it's being exactly. written, and my thing is is like, well, look at look at uh, who helped write it, Bob Gale. Uh, and right. you look at the one director thing. Well, that I really remember seeing of his was that episode of Amazing Story. Go to the head of the class. Where hit where, right. where what's his face gets decapitated and is chasing him around that was pretty creepy, but I think that I think that um, what would we we'd be talking about such a different movie with oh very much so so yeah. much first so. of all it wouldn't first of all it, it wouldn't have a John Williams score uh, yeah. and the, and I got to tell you this this is easily one of my favorite John Williams scores because Williams understood one something implicitly about what he was doing on this film. He was not writing a comedic score. Yeah. He yeah. was writing a straight wartime picture score. Yeah. Because if he ever, if the music ever winked, if the music ever tried to make you think funny, 
it was going to fail. Yeah. The music was just going to fail. And I was thinking that probably within the last hour of watching it, just before you and I got on this call, is that, uh, and, I, and trust me, I've been listening to this album, the soundtrack, ever since the week that the movie came out. I bought the vinyl when it was brand new. Uh-huh. And I've listened to it a million times. Now, what I have heard... And I can't remember the connector. Maybe you know this. I have to keep referring to you because I do not consider myself a historian. I consider myself to be, uh, I consider my, I I always mess these things up. I, that's why I draw and paint for a little bit. That's, that's good. You and I both consider you to be a fuck up. It's good to know that we're on the same page there. That's cool. That's cool. Did you say something? (laughs) So anyway, Captain Dickweed. Um, the thing is, now you made me forget what the fuck I was going to say again. (laughs) Fucking cock bite. uh, What was I talking about before? Here's a little hint, folks. Don't interrupt the old man. Don't interrupt the old man. I remember now. I remember now. Is there was a connection that this music, and this is what I don't understand because of the timeline, that this music would have been intended for Indiana Jones if this movie had not been made. Now that's oh. I've heard something about that. I think it's even in the extras in, that's interesting. in the nineteen forty one disc. But the thing is, what I mean, does that mean that Spielberg was already working on, on Indiana Jones, on Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or Well, I wonder or, if that's because Lucas is probably you know, Lucas is the one who was spearheaded Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's the one who 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 was the, the mover and shaker behind that, so and he certainly had a relationship with John Williams already, so Well, I mean, I heard something and I said, Well, that sounds strange given the fact that there's like a two year difference between the films, but maybe and and then later it was said something like Williams felt that forty one would have been the Indiana Jones theme. But since he already used it for 41, he had to write a new theme, something along those lines. Like maybe he had the tune in his head already. Maybe, maybe so. that's what, what, what they're saying. But um, to me, when I, when I listened to the soundtrack to 1941, it is a little lighter upbeat. I could see him taking that main theme and darkening it down by like maybe 10% a little bit, like taking a little bit of the cuteness out of it. It's not, it's not bad. Like you said, it doesn't wink at the camera. It seems like right. a marching song, like we're going off to war, we're proud, you know, that kind of thing. But it's still, it could still be used in a, in a drama or at least a light adventure. Whereas, uh, you know, there's none of that, you know, it isn't Benny Hill. There's none of that in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the music is fantastic. Uh, the fight it's scene, wonderful, yeah. The fight scene in the USO Club music is wonderful. The dance music yes. is The dance, the, the music, dance is music is, awesome. is fantastic. When it, when it goes from uh, um, uh, sounding like uh, Gene Krupa sort of drumming and all, and all of a sudden it goes into this really melodic thing where the women start dancing in a, in a pattern with the guys, you know, almost, you know, if you look at it straight down, it would have been like a Busby Berkeley or something almost, but that whole scene is wonderful. I mean, it's not, Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And, and I love the music in that. And this is, this is a really personal reason for liking the music. I love the heavy use of the clarinet, which uh, is very, yeah. very, very period accurate for what he's doing. And he's just doing some, he's just doing some really interesting stuff with the clarinet. They're putting it foregrounding it in a lot of that music. And it's just like, that's exactly what music like then sounded like. right that, right that, right at that time. That's what it sounded like. And it just, it was just beautiful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think that, um, 
there's a, well, I've known people that have had to play John Williams music, like uh, people here, here, even in town, when they perform John Williams music. And um, I heard two of them talking one time, and they said, man, there's so many times that they've had to perform a piece of music from a movie mm-hmm. that they were like half of the orchestra didn't get much of a workout. Like in other words, some sections of the orchestra, because this composer or whatever leaned towards certain instruments, but they said when John, when it was a John Williams piece and they both smiled and said, the whole orchestra gets their bit. They get their piece. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm saying? In other words. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, I don't doubt it at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. the music's wonderful. Uh, the march is used in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other other bits and pieces. There's like a piccolo used when they're doing the theme from the movie, when it starts up. I don't know. I mean, um, it is interesting to me all these years later that you, and that was probably one of the first times that uh, you think, well, whether the movie was loved or not, there's no. This is one of those times where you look at a soundtrack and go, you can't complain about that soundtrack. No, in no way. It's fantastic. Yeah. Before we go any further, because I want to talk about some of the uh, the people who made this movie a little more in depth. But before this, I would like to point out that, in all honesty, 1941 is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Right. It, if I were to put together a list of like my ten favorite comedies, uh, this is up there with Bringing Up Baby, uh, Raising Arizona, uh, Used Cars. Uh, and I will say that, yes, Used Cars was written by... Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, so there's some connective tissue there. We just, my whole family just watched it again. Uh, Well, my kids had never seen it. Uh, We watched it for the first time about six months ago. My brother owns a copy. He brought it over the Blu-ray. And uh, I remember loving it the first time I saw it. I think I only saw it twice, ever. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, I've got it. And I said, oh, yeah, bring that over. 
and it was still it was still good. It it, it oh, really it really holds up. It's it's funny. Uh, it's interesting seeing Kurt Russell in, you know, leaving the computer war tennis shoes and doing, you know, something uh-huh. like this. So, yes, a very good film. Um, I don't I don't I put it way up there. I mean, I've always owned it. Um, you know, for me, my favorite greatest comedies, since we're talking about that, uh, Mad, 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 Mad World. Um, it happened one night. Uh, uh-huh. One, two, three, which I think stunned me the first time I saw it, how how rapid fire that was and uh, the great race uh, uh, what uh, what's the one uh, what's up doc oh yeah great film that's a, that's and once again that fits with this world the people in that movie fit in this world almost it's nut <laughs> everybody's an idiot a nutcase everybody's a nutcase kind of thing Oh, well, I would, like I say, I was trying to put together kind of a list of my favorite comedies. Sure. And what's funny is, like, uh, also on my list, besides Bringing Up Baby, which is my all-time favorite comedy, is also Arsenic and Old Lace. So it's like Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale and Cary Grant get multiple entries on my favorite comedy list. And it's like, what does that say about me? I don't understand it. Well, I mean, uh, Bringing Up Baby, did you get the new uh, the new, uh, the new, new big Blu-ray that just is coming out? The, the- I've, got, I've got the, uh, I picked up the Criterion, yeah. Yeah, that is so funny. That that whole dinosaur thing and the leopard and oh, the God. tearing of the Bring clothes it. and oh, it's just good. It's it's mind-bendingly funny, and uh, I, I would go out on a limb and say that Cary Grant has never been funnier. But then again, Cary Grant in a comedy is almost always gold, <laughs> and so it's, he's even light and and humorous, even in things like North by Northwest, where he's wanted for murder. He's still he's, he's got still a, he's got a way he's got a lightness to him. Uh, and yes, it's it's great when he's full on. When they go, look, go do comedy. He even ramps it up even more. I I really love uh, Arsenic and Old Lace. I, yeah, I, I, Arsenic and Old Lace. That's one of my all time favorites. Where I'm just like, I, I I absolutely love that film. If 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 I could change one thing about it, it would be that Boris Karloff was able to play that role. Yeah. Instead of having to you know having to stay on Broadway, but you know other yeah, than that, that was the toughest thing, especially with the line being delivered. It's funny that you should mention that. I just thought about that probably yesterday. It's you know, people say, "Wow, it's interesting." You think about. It. I think people think millions of separate little unrelated <laughs> thoughts in a day. You know what I mean? Or an or in an hour, if you're me. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm saying is that is that you know I, I you can think of so many things. So when I, I say that, it's not as amazing as it sounds. It's like, wow, you and Rodney ought to get married. Well, no, I'm just saying <laughs> that we analyze and, and you know. Uh, one second ago, I'm thinking about how my kids are doing. The very next second, I'm thinking about William Shatner. The next thing, I'm thinking about the most important thing on the on the planet that's ever existed, Roger Moore. The next second, I'm thinking about you know blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And and uh, but yeah, when you said that, I'm like yeah, I was just thinking that. I I think Raymond Massey did the, he was he was the best that they could get. Yeah. Other than that, uh, but the joke can't land as well because he's not Boris Karloff. Yeah, you're the only you're only getting the full effect of that joke if you're watching Karloff play it on stage. Yeah, or maybe just even at a time. Well, this isn't even the full effect, but at least you can say I know what the joke is supposed to be. Right. I I knew I know it, but yeah, uh, comedies for me are one of my smallest, the smallest part of my collection. It's tiny. It's probably 
I understand. Yeah. 20 films, maybe at the most, probably closer to 10. And, you know, I can think of other stuff like Fearless Vampire Killers, which really is very low on the comedy. It's very, very mild on the comedy and more on the mood. Uh, yeah. uh, but I still, I still think the humor works. I remember seeing it as a little kid and thinking it was very funny. Uh, um, but well, here's the thing, though. Here's one of the things that uh, that 1941. It's another compliment that I kind of want to play. I want to, pl- I want to play. I want to pay the film a compliment in a way that is kind of in a strange. It's it's not backwards, but it's kind of from from an odd angle. Mm-hmm. One of the things that the people making this movie recognized is that there are a lot of actors who are not known for comedy that they cast in comedic roles. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's very easy to point to exactly why they cast that actor. Mm -hmm. In, In this case, I'll give you two actors, and I can't quite figure out one... I'm pleased that they did it. The other is obvious to me. The obvious one is Slim Pickens. Because essentially what he's playing on screen in this is the exact same character he played in Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, to the point where they go out of their way to have a distinct callback in the dialogue with, with, when they're going through the stuff that they found in his pockets, when they pulled him onto the submarine. Yeah. And it's, it's them riffing directly from that scene on the, uh, on the, 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 uh, the bomber in Strangelove. Yeah. In and then he words, plays he plays him again too in the swarm. Precisely. So, 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 <laughs> well, that's kind of so true for comedy. It's for comedy bad. gold, yeah. you go straight to the swarm every time. Yeah. Oh, really? You know, we ought to do a show on that one. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we sit there and the other morning we were having breakfast and uh, I was talking to the kids and we we love our favorite part from the whole film is Jesus Palomina, a Nazi. Let me Nancy. tell you something, Mister Heidi no, no. Kraut. I'm going to tell you my favorite Slim Pickens moment in the entire film is ab- absolutely is right after he has swallowed the compass out of the Cracker Jack box. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Popper Jack. Popper box. Jack, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> right after he swallowed that, and f- in the foreground, it's another, it's another one of those brilliant moves. It's exactly how you shoot this shot to put everything in the frame in the best possible way so that the comedy beat can hit. Yeah. dead center which is in the foreground you see one of the Japanese soldiers produce a bayonet yeah and he doesn't Pickens is in full full voice and he doesn't slow down and just goes hey boy watch what you're doing with that knife yeah yeah I don't know <laughs> and, I, mean, it's I agree absolutely it's, it's the funniest good. damn he thing he actually might have well it's tough but he I, I think when I think of the film just off the cuff I think that might be the fame, the, the the two the best parts of the film. Not that there isn't a whole bunch of best parts, but he gets probably the the the, the award for the pinnacle funniest moment. Agreed. The, the, Agreed. The, hey boy, watch that knife. It always gets a laugh. Uh, you know, t- let me tell you something, Mister Heine Kraut. We caught you yes. fought your kind in the Great War, and we kicked the living shit out of you. And, and, and it's the way he says that <laughs> too. We Lee. fought your, I fought your kind in the Great War, oh, yeah. and the way he stresses Great War, yeah. like what's about to come up is chicken feed bullshit compared to what he went through. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that because that's exactly the attitude and exactly the way a man like that would say it. It's so fucking brilliant. Well, it's, it's funny too because, okay, you've got the great Toshiro Mifune who, yep. who doesn't, who doesn't um, soil himself by being an idiot. He doesn't trip. He doesn't, you know, yeah. there's no fart jokes. There's nothing He's like not that. A with clown. He's not a clown. He's not a clown. And they bring in 
Christopher Lee as their uh, uh, what's the word uh, consultant or whatever uh-huh. for the submarine from the Nazi party uh, in full Nazi regalia and all that kind of stuff. Now, I do know that Christopher Lee, I believe um, uh, he was in military intelligence in the war and he yeah. knew like five languages fluently. I want to tell you, I don't speak German even though I lived in Germany, but I'll tell you and you, anybody out there that speaks German, you can tell us, tell me I'm full of crap or I don't know what I'm talking about. But he seemed like he knew it fluently. His, well, from what I understand, he speaks either five or seven languages. He was well. He was easily. in intelligence to that was one of the yeah. reasons. But but his his you know Hollywood is is, is Landis you know and all that kind of stuff. and I'm like wow he really I I mean I've watched the movie a thousand times and yet every time I watch it I go I, I mean it's it's like he cast a German. Now, I'll tell you what, years ago, uh, another Spielberg film, I took uh, my then-girlfriend at the time to see uh, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Uh, She loved Indiana Jones movies, and she loved that one, too. But one thing that she said is there's a scene where they're handing over a car to the Sultan as payment for help to find Jones and stuff out there in the desert, you know? Yeah. And there's some Germans in the background talking. She leaned over to me. She goes, their German is awful. <laughs> I mean, you can tell it's just Americans who've been sort of taught the words and they're just mouthing it and it's terrible. But when I look at Christopher Lee, I believe that, uh, you know, you probably hear that from somebody where they go. If, if he isn't, he's doing a great job from my point of view. I believe he's a German. If you didn't know who Christopher uh-huh. Lee was and everything, you'd believe it. But uh yeah, well, I mean, the thing it, is, I've <clears throat> seen Lee. I've seen Lee perform entire movies speaking French too. Yeah. So, yeah. I, it, you know, he's playing a French character and he's speaking French, and everybody else in the movie is French. So it's not as if, you know, I'm sure somebody would have said something in that you know, while they were making that movie. Yeah. But, well, I mean, it's fun to watch those two giants of two completely different ilk. I mean, we've got Christopher Lee, who who really was a much broader actor than I think we really get a chance a lot of times to see. I know that he would have... True. And then you've got Tashiro Mifuni. you got frickin' Tashiro Mifuni in this movie, who I love so much. I mean... He's, 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 he's a brilliant actor. He, he, had a, he had a career second to none. He was phenomenal. Would he be considered... I mean, you can... You know, who's America's greatest actor? Who's Britain's greatest actor? I mean, you, gotta, you can run through all that would he be considered Japan's greatest actor? I mean, I, you'd have to ask them. They're the ones that would get to choose that. But yeah. From my perspective, he's top five easily. I would say. I would say we would be allowed to say. I would say we would be allowed to say that out uh, in terms of getting them as films from another country as what they used to call foreign films. Right. We would be allowed to say that that's the person we know the most. Uh, I, True. I, but, but in in their own country, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody that's bigger. Uh, I, I just, don't, I don't know, man. Think of how many movies he starred in for uh, Kurosawa. I know I mean, it. I know it. I mean, you think I, about that, and you're like, no, he was in humongous movies that were worldwide hits. There's a, you know, there's some, you know, no matter how long it has been since he uh, was alive, there's. I, I, I do wonder if he's looked back upon... Here's what I would be curious about, because I don't know enough about his entire career uh-huh. from a Japanese point of view. I wonder if he's looked back upon as uh, the way that some people look back at, say, John Wayne, or if he's looked back upon as the, the way that, uh, say, maybe 
I don't know, Cary Grant is. Well, I was going to say Lawrence of his, Olivier because of his or range, something. Lawrence Olivier, because of his range, essentially. Yeah. You know, the, the ability to uh, to do multiple different things and to bring something intriguing and different to those different genres. That was Cary Grant. He could, you know, whatever you put him in, he was believable. Yes. Uh, well, but but even I wasn't even thinking about Toshiro Mifune and Christopher Lee because those two are those two are obvious. But it, the guy I was thinking of as the the actor that I would point to as, wow, who thought to cast him in mm-hmm. a comedy is Warren Oates. Yeah, that was that was out of left field. That was out of left field given the kind of movies that he plays, gritty cowboys, right. cops, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, uh-huh. um, uh, weathered men. Uh, what was the one I just watched? I finally got a chance to watch the one with him and Jack Nicholson where they're going across the desert. He ends up smashing Jack Nicholson's hand with a rock. Uh, oh, shit. Y- I don't know this film. Young, 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 young Jack Nicholson. It was, uh, I think if... I want to say did the director just die? Is that the same guy from Two Lane Blacktop? Nicholson is a, is a very young scumbag. Uh, it's it's more it reminds you more of his performances in the Roger Corman. Is it something films. like? Is it the shoot? Is it the shooting? Or yeah, the shooting. I think is what it is. Yeah, and Monty, uh, yeah, it's a Monty Hellman film. Monty okay. Hellman. That's what I was saying. Didn't he do Two Lane Blacktop? Monty Hellman did. Yes, he did. And uh, but you look at Warren Oates. Hell, I'm going to tell you, tell you the first time I ever saw him as a child was on. Uh, when Lost in Space was still good, was playing Hapgood on Lost in Space. Huh. Where did you ever see that episode? No, no, no. The first place I ever saw Warren Oates. Uh, no, but well, I mean, did I you probably... ever see the film? Did you ever see that episode of Lost in Space? You should watch no, it. No, I did not. He's good. No, I did not. He's good. He plays a cowboy, kind of. It's still that. It's starting to get into that weird Lost in Space thing. You know, all of a sudden, you know, country werewolves show up and shit. But right. it's it's earlier. It's it's probably one of Lost in Space's most soulful episodes, and he's called Traveling Man, and he's got this little rocket ship, and he happens to come across the Robinsons, but he wears a cowboy hat and it's got a, a, a country accent. But it's a good episode. You should watch it. It's good. But the th- but the reason I bring it up yep. is you know I know Warren Oates from you know uh, an episode of The Outer Limits, oh, and then yeah. and then and then you know. A string of, of Sam Peckinpah movies, Ride the High Country, Major Dundee, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The Wild Bunch, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into the 70s and he's doing amazing things like uh, uh, The Hired Hand and Tulane Blacktop and Chandler and then Dillinger, where he plays John Dillinger. He's, he, yeah. he's in that incredible film Cockfighter. And you, you've already mentioned Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, speaking of Peckinpah. This is what I see him in Race with the Devil, which is a great film. Yeah. And, and things like this. But then you get to 1941 and they're like, yeah, let's stick him in a comedy. And it's out of left field. Yeah. And he's hilarious. He, um, my, my, my troops, where are my troops? Uh, exactly. Or, or, he's, 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 he's playing a funny character who doesn't know he's funny. Well, he doesn't know he's a ridiculous that's character. That's where greatness comes in in comedy is where you play it straight. I mean, you're sitting there going, well, that plane's got no guns. You're talking about suicide. I mean, it's just like song. it's 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 good. He, um, you know, it's so funny. It's almost like he's so in that character that you have to stop and tell yourself. You do realize you're watching Warren Oates. I'm, I'm not yes. joking. When I watch it, yeah. I go, I even c- contemplate. I mean, I've seen probably this year within a year space of 365 days. I've probably seen this movie probably three times. And 
two of them weren't because of this show. I just watched it uh, last week for you and me doing the show, and I watched part of it again today. I kind of skipped around and everything. Uh, but I, I said, you know, I got I to gotta remind myself who the hell I'm looking at here. I'm looking at Warren Oates. It's like uh, in Tropic Thunder where, where Tom Cruise plays that businessman. <laughs> You know what yeah, I'm talking yeah. about? Which the I hadn't, studio, ex- the studio exec. I yeah. hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen that. I saw that movie once years ago when it was brand new, and I just watched it again about three weeks ago, and I'm like, wow. You can keep telling yourself you're looking at Tom Cruise, you know. And it's the same thing with Warren Oates. You got to tell yourself you're looking at Warren Oates here, even though it still looks like him with his little one of the lenses is all shattered. You know, and, and uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, what's your name? Burkheads. What kind of stupid name is that? Winoski. Go over there and check him for stills or whatever it is. Yes. Winoski. <laughs> I mean, I just love that name. Oh, I, I, okay, I checked him, sir. You know, but. Uh, He's uh, American. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Murray Hamilton. You know. Yes. Who Turn is- off those lights, you little asshole. Uh, you've got, uh, so, I mean, just so, yelling so at a kid. Could you imagine if you being the father of that kid and you found out, Hey, by the way, uh, the other night, the guy was yelling at me to turn off the lights. Oh, he, he yelled. He was, he mad. Yeah. He, he told me, turn off those lights. You little asshole. I'd be go looking for that guy to beat him up <laughs> and call my kid an asshole. But it's so funny because this guy's already <laughs> petrified because they put him to observe for any enemy. Oh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a Ferris wheel. First of all, they put him in a Ferris wheel at night with Eddie Deason. Eddie Fuck. Deason. What the, yeah. what the hell did they think was going? Yeah. I mean, that was fun. Then, I want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'll tell you this. I still have never, I, I, maybe it's somewhere buried in the extras uh, or some documentary made on the film that I still haven't still haven't paid enough attention to, but I still to this day want to know how in the hell those two characters changed position in that Ferris wheel. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you always think about it. Yeah, you know what makes me wonder? Could that have been some kind of a joke? That's what I want to know. It has to have been. Oh, let me ask you a question. Okay, people. Rodney and Mark are jumping around, so if anybody is expecting a linear progression as to how this film plays out, it's going to be kind of a rough road. I, I'm noticing that. Here's a question in the director's cut. Yeah. Our hero, what's his name? The uh, Zoot Suit guy, what's his name again? Oh, oh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, 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 Wally Stevens, Wally. Wally! Yeah, I keep yelling Wally. I don't remember why I can't remember his name. Oh, it's my friend, and he's dancing. But um, he, okay, so he's he's got the tank. He's kicked the crap out of Treat Williams. They're racing to the shore, and they go by, and there's a cop, Dick Miller, who's talking to some people. Yes. And he yells at him and then says, you're supposed to have turned off your lights. He takes the machine gun of the tank and blows away the cop car, completely destroys it, while Dick Miller jumps over the back of the car, jumps in the bushes and stuff, and is like in shock that this guy destroyed his car. And then they, they drive off in the tank laughing, and she's so proud of him and all that kind of stuff. Is the, there, it seems like there's something missing there. We never got the I hate Dick Miller scene earlier in the film. Oh, well, he says it in the dialogue, in the, in the extended cut. He says it. He sees the cop as they're rolling down the street. Yeah. And he says, that's, he says that's the cop who, uh, who uh, put me in jail. Okay, so it was within a throwaway line. To me, to me, it's almost like I would have. It didn't work as well as I would have thought if they maybe showed it, like he was getting out of jail and Dick Miller yells at him, "Hey, you keep your nose clean" or something like. That. And then 
we go later because it, it, there's no build up to hating Dick Miller in the first place. You know what well, I'm no, saying? Well, it, no, it, it's done just to do two things. One, blow the living shit out of a car with a machine gun. Yes. And two, have Dick Miller in the movie. Oh, I mean, I love Dick Miller, but I'm saying, but you see what I'm saying. It, oh, yeah, I see bit, exactly what you're saying. I, I'm I, telling you why the scene was probably done. Well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this too. There's a possibility that she, scene never got shot. There was something like that. Now, what I noticed the other when I was watching it again was Dan Aykroyd uh, in the director's cut says a lot of times like I can't stand Americans fighting Americans. It becomes right. a thing with him. It doesn't hurt it when they've in the in the final cut, the theatrical cut, where he goes. One thing I can't stand is Americans fighting Americans. It's still you don't have to build up to him yelling that. You know what I mean? It still works, but. When he's saying it, and he goes back into the barracks, and um, who's the big the big guy the big guy that comes in later who says oh Frank uh, played by Frank McRae Frank um, McRae who's no no longer with us he's passed away recently matter of fact several yes. people Ned Beatty's gone recently there's several people that ha- uh, have left us recently but Frank McRae uh, the kids I showed my kids a movie with him that I absolutely love and I thought I sh- was I was showing it to him I said they don't like this movie. And when it was over, they turned to me and said, that was pretty good. And it was Cannery Row. Oh, okay, yeah. I, which I, which he was great in it. Everybody was great in it. And I watched it again and said, yeah, this movie kind of holds up. But anyway, he's he was part of that time period, that actor. He just reminds me so much of going to the movies, having a great time. But in Oh, he's f- he's fully 20 to 25% of the reason why I love used cars as much as I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's so fucking hilarious in that movie. Yeah. Well, he um, there, there's a scene where um, uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd is yelling at them to get prepped and we got to go. We're getting ready to, to, to move out, guys. And he's like beating the hell out of somebody in a cot or somebody's throttling him. And I know he's fighting back and forth with John Candy. John Candy's obviously a racist in there uh-huh. and they're back and forth with each other. But they show um, Dan Aykroyd close fairly close up and he goes one thing i can't stand is americans fighting americans and then instantaneously they go come on let's get let's get ready to move out and he, he has no jacket on and then he's got a big old big old military jacket on when instantaneously he's yelling so i think that's a little bit of that not some of the editing well it's the editing and 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 trying to put back in this footage that probably would have necessitated more looking for bits and pieces to get a flow you know what i'm saying Uh um you know you see it in movies you see you see it here and there but i think that i do notice when i'm watching the blu-ray uh with the director's cut the stuff that i've seen a million times before is crystal clear and the added the the stuff that's added in is clear but it's not is a slight softness to it you know uh, well, here, let, let's talk about some of the other people that turn up in this thing in, yeah. in gla- glancingly small roles. That that, that I, I love how some of them are they just present them and move on past them. Uh, my favorite is Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah, click click. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, as a matter of fact, they're very they're in it, and I and I think it was just hey, you know, Penny Marshall. I mean, you're talking about half of yeah, you know, everybody. Penny Marshall. I guess did uh, I mean they had almost everybody from Laverne. Well, Laverne and Shirley was on at the time, wasn't it? It was being shot at the time, so yeah. So they had to honestly, yeah. Well, however they filmed, however they got her in there, it had to be some kind of. They had to kind of work around at something. I'm sure. And who was um, who was the other girl? She wasn't in it though. She wasn't in the film. But they no, had no, she th- wasn't. Three of them. Three of them were in there, and um, 
and I'm trying to think of other people. We already said Elisha Cook. Uh, Lorraine, um, how do you say her name uh, from Jaws? Uh, oh, Lorraine Gary. Yeah. Lorraine Gary, she's in it. Uh, oh, well, I wouldn't uh, well, call her wanted... a thankless role, but it's sort of a throwback to very Actually, much a mom I think from the 1940s. She's... I wouldn't call what she what she has a thankless role. I think she she's the reason that certain scenes in that certain scenes in that movie are as funny as they are. Well, but and there it's is all her in, insane reaction. Well, but there's also this too. This movie does have a little bit of that black comedy edge, like stuff that they do to her and stuff that they do to her daughter. It's like you know, Treat Williams is there, the 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 the, the guy, the 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 little brothers, the little rotten asshole brothers who are funny yeah. as hell in this movie. I love. <laughs> Yes, they are. Those three kids, I mean, the kids are a goddamn baseball riot. Baseball bat with nails. He looks like Snake Plissken. I know. And, and they're sitting there. And they dig this giant hole that the the, the the sister and her girlfriend fall in the hole. By the way, that girlfriend's funny as hell too. Wendy Jo Sperber. Yeah, she they was fall in the hole. Com- she- Wendy Jo Sperber was comedy gold. She was real. Oh, man. When she, and you know what's amazing is when she goes, what about all those boys we're going to be dancing with? And, those men, uh-huh. those, and she jumps down and she does this dance as she's going up the dirt road of their of the yard. Yep. And I'm like, wow, that girl's that was a pretty good move for, <laughs> she's a, good. for, for yeah. a woman on high heels doing that kind of a move and being coordinated. She was pretty good. But anyway, so they fall in the hole because the, the kids have drawn, you know, have made a, a, a <laughs> trap a for the trap, Japanese yeah. or whatever. And then Treat Williams goes to lift her out and she doesn't want to be picked up by him. And she goes, you heard what your boss said when Dan Eckert tells her to put her, to her down. put me down. And he just drops her. Uh-huh. He just drops her, and there's this puff of smoke. And then later, or before that, when Lorraine Gary is is uh, uh, they knock on the door because they've got that giant cannon gun that they're going to put in their yard, and they 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 knock on the door, but the but the uh, the barrel of the gun hits the door and it like falls on her, and you see like her. It almost sexualized naked legs, even though she's wearing the garters oh, yeah. and thing. It's like, the, it's a housewife. It's my wife. It'd be like if, if that happened to Linda. It's like, you know, a big machine gun, you know, knocks on the door. She's going to the door. She falls down and her and her legs are in the air with her garter belts and her and her, all this kind of stuff. And then John Candy runs in to try to help her with the door and gets a splinter in his finger and then drops the door back on her. her again. Yeah, yes. oh, 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 I'm sorry. You know, that kind of thing. And it's like, there's a there's a bit of an edge here. There's a bit of an edge in that that that. Well, there's some real nastiness <laughs> in this movie. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 near rape scene is pretty rough. Well, it's even worse in the director's cut. I think the one I agree. back then is more of almost like if you're a little kid, you go, boy, that guy's almost like a werewolf. He's dragging her under the vehicle and all that kind of stuff. But but in the director's version, it's a little bit more uncomfortable. I would it's say see, it's it's seedier. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, this movie's got its own little little differences from other comedies of the same type. I mean, you didn't see anything like that in Mad World or or in The Great Race. Um, there's a lot of uh, of uh, Tim Matheson trying to get into uh, what's her name. <laughs> well, that that whole thing is hilarious. That is, uh, I, I think it's funny that both Nancy Allen, who let, let's be honest, <laughs> Nancy Allen. Gorgeous woman, yes. beautiful woman. It's not hard to picture her as being someone that someone would, would so, someone like Matheson's character would lose his mind over to do anything right. to go as far as he goes. Well, I, but, but I, what but I, I, think, what, what I think is, is funny you, is both what, what both what both Alan and Matheson have said in the years since they made the movie is 
not to slight the movie, but they do say that the movie might be better if their storyline wasn't in the movie. And when they say that, I understand where they're coming from, but I swear to God, I don't want it. I don't want it taken out. I don't want. I see what they're saying. They're saying the movie would get to the same point in a different way without their, you know, their through line of you know these two horned dogs attempting to have sex in a plane. They really are the furthest people out from the main action in this film. I mean, it literally yeah. is another story. Uh, they don't affect anything that happens other. Well, then, John, the very end, well, then other than John down. Belushi chasing, chasing them. But even that doesn't it. The person who puts a bullet in John Belushi's plane is Eddie Deason from the Ferris wheel as he flies over well, the no, no, no. Matheson, Matheson shoots him with the handgun. Yeah, as but, well. it, but, but it does no, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't. No, change. no, it, but, but it, it puts the hole in the, it puts the hole in there and you have that. That's the first time that there's a, like a shot at the plane, but yeah, it's later on when Eddie Deason. No, but what I'm saying oh, no, is, is let, let's, let's, pretend, right. let's pretend that Tim Matheson and, huh. and uh, Nancy Allen's part did, never happened in the film. Let's just right. let's try this real quick. And uh, John Belushi's chasing out that way, and you know somebody says something about you know there's a report of something out at the coast, and he goes down there, Eddie Deason shoots him, he flies back into town. The, the, I guess maybe the thing that would really be missing, and I'm actually analyzing this and coming up to a conclusion as we are talking. Right. Is that but you would still miss the the insanity of the plane uh, planes chasing each other in the middle of the street downtown. And that would be a loss. So, yes. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you do. I think you have to have that thread in the film. I we have just scientifically analyzed and we've decided that it stays. (laughs) But I mean, also, too, we wouldn't have Madman Maddox and all that kind of stuff. I think yeah, that's there, there would be there would be no that. reason. There would only be the one scene with Mad Bad Maddox, which would be when Belushi lands there. Right. But but what makes that scene extra funny is the fact that there are two scenes with him, and you kind of get to spend a little bit more time with this completely insane character convinced that people are parachuting into the fucking alfalfa fields my <laughs> in, ca- in Southern California. My I mean, troops. It's insane. Where are my troops? Where are my troops? And you've got the scene where. They're going to take off in that little plane because you know, they're acting like they're going to try to go spot some evil, you know, bad guy field, uh, air airfield, and it's really to get the plane up in the air so he can have sex with Nancy Allen. And the plane, there's a block under the wheel, and so the the, the plane spinning out of control on the ground or whatever, and it finally takes off, hits a hits a uh, uh, what do you call it, what a tower or whatever that hits the uh, uh, radio lines or whatever, and the guy who played the morgue dude in uh and return of the living dead don calfa is sitting there on the radio and that thing whatever that mechanism was it got yanked away that big radio got yanked away but i don't care he could not control himself from wincing did you notice that yeah but he still keeps it he still keeps, he keeps a, a straight stone face, face but you yeah, can yeah. see him jump and it's like, yeah, you could tell whatever it was was quasi-traumatic the way that the thing got ripped away uh, away from him off that table. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, um, yeah, once again, like there's people – I'm trying to think of – there's a couple of people that are in the film that I just go, wow. I mean, like you go, wow, they're really just for a microsecond in the film. Uh, is that uh, – is it Joe Flaherty who's the – 
The, oh, he has a, he has a couple of good scenes. Yeah, John uh, Joe Flaherty is uh, Sal Stewart, whose real name is Raul, Raul Lipschitz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, he's got so he's got some the, the, his last lines in the movie as he's doing the outro for the radio show that's being broadcast from there yeah. is fucking hilarious. Oh yeah, I mean the thing is that me it's one of the things that in hindsight uh, the fact that they tried to get him to come to Monster Bash that would have been fun. Oh, Joe Flaherty? Oh, I would love. It. Oh, he, he's Count Floyd, man. He's Count Floyd, and they and uh, I, I know Ron Adams uh, had him slated. I don't know if if that was during the, the the later the later time in the year when I don't didn't normally go. But if that guy were to ever come back, you and I need to sit down oh, and have a God. talk with him. Joe that, Flaherty is so amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else is in there. I mean, there's people that are going to go on to be famous later. In, oh, well, in yeah, I mean, too, of course. You know? well, just really quick, did you spot it, – it's like two seconds long, but I'm sure you've spotted uh, John Belushi's other character. Oh, yeah, the guy in there eating the uh, – eating, eating soup pasta, or whatever yeah. as, the, as the guy goes crashing through the window. Yeah. Um, the guy who has uh, – uh, Oh, say, how about Sam Fuller? Sam Fuller is the general. Yeah, absolutely. What we need is hard-hitting melodrama. Uh, (laughs) If you watch this movie in terms of what was going on at the time, there is a smattering, a dash of the kind of attitude that was starting up. And we were talking about the kinds of comedy movies that were going on at the time. And one of them, another one that we kind of left out was the Animal House stuff was starting up. The teenagers getting laid movies uh, were starting up I don't know if Porky's had come out yet but I th- no Porky's was 1980 yeah but but those movies had kind of started up and I think that that what that also affected this movie a little bit the whole Donna and Tim Matheson the Nancy Allen part was a bit of that Tim Matheson was I don't know if uh, he was in Animal House, so yeah, yes. you're 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 drawing into a straight line there too. That's true. Yeah, and where you're sort of uh, looking at it, it's like yeah, he's an Otter in Animal uh-huh. House, and God, that movie was a, a hell of a lot of it was about that kind of thing. So they had him, they had her, and they brought up they brought him in with that kind of a plot line. Uh, I want to talk about a, a, a couple of other favorites, and we mentioned them briefly. Though uh, um, Ned Beatty's kids, Ned Beatty, yes, Ned Beatty is kids. is related. Now I will say this: <laughs> I was watching this movie two weeks ago with my daughter Ava, who uh, is um, uh, going to be seventeen soon. But we're watching oh my it, God. and we're she's going to be seventeen. Are you kidding? Yeah, me? James. James uh, in next month will be eighteen years old. Oh my God! That doesn't seem. Oh, possible. Uh, two months he'll be eighteen. He'll be eighteen years old. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, he's already he's an he's an adult then. But Abe and I are okay, watching. Okay, I just it. I just had a trauma I just had a traumatic shiver. Yeah, I know. Okay. Last time you saw them, they were they were kids. It's been three years. Yeah, since three I've years. Seen but they yeah, but they've grown up. I mean, James. I mean, the other day I was horsing around when I went to punch him in the chest and my hand hurt. You know, we were like <laughs> horsing around and everything like that, and it's like he's he's bulked up and everything. So Ava and I have watched, and James too has watched 1941 a bunch of times. We're watching okay. the director's cut, which she had never seen. So you see the scene with the Japanese guys, and they get in the Christmas trees, and they're 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 stalking right. around uh, Hollis Wood, who's played by uh, our buddy uh, Slim, Slim Pickens. Pickens. The uh, scene where Ted Beatty talks to his daughter now. I was almost like that should have been cut anyway, no matter what. 
You know what I mean? I mean, for a Spielberg Oh, film, you mean the one the one where she's confused at the end of it because he, it sounds like her father just said, look, go out there and have sex with these that's guys. That's what it sounded like, and I don't know. I mean, Ava looked at me like, what the hell? And I looked at her like, what the hell? I mean, <laughs> exactly. it's like, was he saying that to his daughter? No, what, what I think is hilarious. Else? Go ahead. Well, that's just it. I, that's what I love about the scene is the when the scene ends – the father, who clearly from this from from the sequence is is not the the most comfortable at what he's trying to say to her, and so he thinks he's communicated one thing to her, and what she's heard is something very different. Yeah, what yeah. he thinks what he thinks he's saying is exactly what you would expect a father to say to his daughter, but he's he flubs it so badly that he's leaving his daughter with the idea that my father just told me to go have sex with a bunch of sailors and soldiers. Yeah. What the hell? On my, on my third viewing, that's what I kind of came to. It was sort of like, no pun intended. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was sort of like, uh, like, yeah, he didn't mean that, but damn, I mean, the, the look on Ava's face was just like, wow, oh, that yeah. is different dad. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But the, okay, so anyway, we're talking about okay. Ned Beatty is uh, married to Lorraine Gary, and they've got that beautiful giant house right there on the shore, which eventually becomes a yep. battleground with the Japanese, which is yep. funny as hell. Which they basically destroy their own house. But uh, the little kids, they pick cute little. Uh, they're kind of cute. And they're kind of assholes at the same time, kids. You know, that's it's funny. Well, they're cute, but they act like assholes. They act like assholes. Um, I will tell you this: I stole years ago years ago and use it i was even afraid you're gonna probably use it on this podcast and it'll it'll <laughs> is um the the kids are there the dad's got the giant gun he's pointing it at the japanese trying to fire at the submarine trying to hit it and uh the little kid uh look, yells at his dad he's going, dad you're ruining christmas and and then <laughs> yes. they go upstairs the kids go upstairs and they're and know, they're, they're in the I bed they're that. in their bed they've gotten into bed or whatever and the gun starts you know going off and crashing the the recoil is pushing this gun that's on tires through the house and basically destroying the structure of the house and finally the gun goes off again one more time blows some holes through the wall which finishes the upper floor and the bed lands in the middle of the living room with the two kids going boy that was fun that looked uh, expensive I mean, you talk about yes. money. That looked expensive. And then the kids dust themselves off, get off the bed, and go, that was fun. Those kids were absolutely hilarious. They got the, the little uh, Indian chief uh, headdresses on, which which later they put on, uh, you know, they put on the one the one guys are ripping off his wallet. Uh, there's some... Well, Spielberg was always really good at directing children. He He's probably better than almost anybody it. else. I think yeah, when yeah. you look at the performances in E.T. and stuff like that, he and, and hell, even the, the performance of a kid who really wasn't a good actor but looked great in Close Encounters because Spielberg would put yeah. on a bear suit. I mean, uh, to, anything to get the he kids, could do to get the performance he wanted, and, yeah. and making the kids feel comfortable going on the set of ET and and putting pinball machines and and video game stuff out there for the kids to to have a good time to 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 relax them and stuff. And I'm like, it proves one thing because you watch some actors in Spiel they do a Spielberg movie, right? And then you see the rest of their career, and they're never as good. And I don't even mean just—I don't mean just children. I mean adults sometimes too. 
Yeah. There are people that have been in films later, and they go, man, Spielberg really knows how to get at the heart of, of, of the human aspects of these things. And with the kids, it's the same thing. They're lively. They're, their lines are delivered beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, he really uh, – you know, I know that he – he comes and go with favor. When we were young, he's like he could do no wrong. And then he would do something here or there that wasn't either like Hook or something like that. But there are certain aspects to his abilities that even to this day, I mean, he's he's completely amazing. Oh, yeah, of course. And the, the thing is, I'm the, I'm the guy who for years and years I had a problem. And it, it, did, it developed in the 80s. Uh, Spielberg had a problem that all the way through the 80s and 90s where more often than not, uh, he didn't know how to end a fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would The movie would have a perfect ending, and then it would keep going. Oh, like, like it, name a few. Well, I won't, I won't point to Hook because Hook was just a mess from I, you start know, but, to finish. I will say this. I've watched Hook probably three times in my life, and it, and it is a mess. It's bad Spielberg. But yeah. the thing with Bad Spielberg is, in a lot of ways, it's still better than a lot of others. I hate to say that; that might sound like a cop out. But I think that while I I don't I don't think Hook is a very good film, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's 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 us looking at Spielberg having done some of the incredible stuff that he's done and go, yeah, I'm a little tired on that one, or yeah. pretty tired on that. You had a bad day, you know that kind. Well, of- th- that's the thing is there's there's a certain point I think that. Almost all directors who are active have different irons in the fire, and it's just the next film that they get to make is the one that suddenly you know gets greenlit, you know. Yeah. And so, the thing about Spielberg and a lot of other directors who get hot is that two films get greenlit within a short space of time, and so he ends up going immediately from one to another. And at times, I wonder if the reason he's doing certain things in one movie is because he's tired from having just finished another movie. But sure. uh, I'll, I'll start here. And he's producing a bunch of stuff, too. I mean, I mean, I, you know, this is one thing that makes me want to just go, hey, Spielberg, come over for a second. Here, smack him in the forehead. What the hell's wrong with you? Quit, quit producing these fucking Michael Bay Transformers movies. Yeah. You know? That, yeah, that's a whole. Anyway, uh, he, he, Jurassic Park has at least three endings. Uh, Schindler's List has at least three endings. Are you trying to say that, that Jurassic Park and Schindler's List aren't good movies? Or are they? They're... No, I'm saying Jurassic Park and Schindler's List have too many endings. Uh, I don't. I don't agree. With Especially that. Schindler's List. I think um, it's a great. I think it's a great film, and it has a perfect ending. And then we get a documentary stuck at the end. It's like, oh man, really? Does this long film need to be even longer for this? The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Well, besides that, that being movie a complete just sucks. Me- besides being a complete mess, movie, the whole movie. last chunk of the movie is a mis- is like what the film should have been. That movie suck cock. Yeah, it does. That movie. I mean, and I mean, I'm talking about one that has a disease. I mean, it's like it could break a jaw. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I left the theater. It was the it was the first time oh, I ever left the movie out. theater with my hands in fists. I was so angry. Yeah. As to as to that that movie sucked. Saving Private Ryan Saving Private Ryan needed to end one scene earlier because we did not need that wraparound. We didn't need that scene in modern day. It's like oh please don't do that don't do that because then you kind of break you break the tone of the story. It's like oh no not that please not that. 
it's like a, a perfect movie, and then you 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 like send me out you send you send me out into the world thinking, wow, he really should have not put that final scene on the movie. It had no purpose. He fucks up the ending of Minority Report because it's very easy to see what the ending's supposed to be, and he neuters it. Yeah, that was a strange movie. I think the first 80 percent of the film was excellent. And then uh, it really. Well, I go, go further. Yeah, I go further. About the first like ninety percent, and then he chokes right at the end. Well, I don't even know if that's the right or what. I'm watching it, going, "Wow, that was so standard for Spielberg." Who, who, by the way, a lot of time improves endings over books. I think the ending, uh, and I'm gonna, I don't know if uh, the ending of Jurassic Park the movie is way more exciting than Jurassic Park the book because Michael Crichton. Uh, a lot of times didn't know how to finish it. He had great concepts, but then he yeah. kind of peter out. And, you know, at the end, they they kill the velociraptors by injecting poison into the eggs and rolling them to the velociraptors. They eat them, and then the army shows up, and then they leave. Whereas velociraptors getting ready to kill them, here comes the T-Rex, pow, 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 bang, bang, bang. Yeah, don't and get me started on how stupid that ending is, because somehow, magically, the T-Rex teleported inside the building. But, hey. There was a big old giant hole on the side. I don't, uh, don't think so. Anyway, uh, War of the Worlds. Oh, that he he that, fucks that the hurt. ending up. He fucks the ending so badly. He fucks the ending so badly. Oh, and he also hurts. fucked the middle, middle, and the beginning too. I mean, it's just a big. Well, fuck. I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't mind it. I, I liked a lot about the movie, but. The whole last third is just one of these things where you're like, Come that whole thing. On. I know that he's basing a bit with uh, Tim, um, not Roth. Tim, uh, what's it? Math? Who's the guy? The one that was married to Susan Sarandon, the guy from Shawshank. Oh, Shane. Tim Robbins. Yeah. Tim Robbins. That's a great scene. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was awful. I <laughs> I disagree. It it, it look. It's not often that you're this wrong. No, okay. no, no. Oh, I am. I am like a a, a laser shot through a diamond. I'm so precise on this. Hey, You've here's got a, good, a movie. here's a good you question that. for no, you. No, 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 well, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's your least favorite? Yeah, you are done. What's your first? What's your what's your least favorite Spielberg film? I don't know. That's what I was saying. No, no, no. Seriously, I want you to think about. Oh, I'm trying to right now. I've tried, I, I will say this. Well, I'll tell you which one. My, I tell, I'll tell you what I think it is. Okay. And it's actually, I mean, this is weird to say, but it's actually his most recent film as far as theatrical release. Mm. I think Ready Player One is a complete disaster. I didn't like it, but back to what I was saying. If you watch George Powell's War of the Worlds, it, it is sad, it is scary, but it's never depressing. I'm never depressed when I watch it. I'm not depressed when I read... H.G. Wells' novel of War of the Worlds. When I when I watch Spielberg's War of the Worlds, it's like he's channeling Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List and yeah. 9/11 through War of the Worlds, and people hate each other. And it's like my attitude is like, why the fuck does this world need to keep going on? When you get to Tim Robbins and he finally has to kill him, which by the way I would do, I would kill Tim Robbins if he was putting my daughter in danger. I got that. Of course, but but it was it was. Wow, we are so far afield. Now. Okay, go ahead. Well, I think I don't think we are. I think we're we're. I think <laughs> what I'm saying is I just think that this is I I think I think it's a terrible film, and 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 the thing is is that I've watched it like four times total, and there's great moments in it. I'm going to tell you the best moment in yeah, the film. There are there's some really the single great best moment in the film to me because I I I did never literally live it, but when he went, but I saw my dad do this one time. When Tom Cruise realizes his son has taken his car 
And then he ca- gets the sun and he gets back there and he goes, telling you, go back to the house. Where When Tom Cruise claps his hands and points at him and says, get back to the house, that was so real to me. That was like the best. Oh, that's a dad. That's, yeah, a, dad, that's a dad, but it was still a dad who's trying not to explode. Uh, yeah. and, and, and the first 30 minutes or so and the bridge going up and all the shit going up behind him as they're driving. After that, the movie turns into a complete, complete turd. It's a, it's awful, but anyway, um, my 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 least favorite Spielberg film. I don't know. It's a little yeah. bit of a, like a eh, a little bit of Hook, a little bit of War of the Worlds, a little bit of a couple of Ready Player One uh, was uh, all uh, uh, references, references to the thing. That well, that, that's not what killed it for me. What killed it for me is they didn't think through how to adapt something from a book to a film. We spend the first chunk of the film where we're supposed to be, where we're getting to know the characters, but we're not seeing the human beings. We're only seeing their avatars. And we're introduced to the avatars in a game where we're immediately told there are no stakes. And it's like, okay, you've completely crippled me giving a shit about these characters, even knowing who these characters are, or giving a fuck about what their supposed goal is. It's gone. Yeah. You've fucked All's it All I up. know is we watched it and then a week later it was like it was like burp. I don't remember. I, I mean that's yeah. bad. You know you know what I will defend? What? Heavily. What? His 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 uh adventures of Tin Tin. I love That was pretty good and and I, I, I took my then wife uh, uh, kicking and screaming with the kids to see it. She did not want to go and we kinda had an argument about it. Like, God damn it. Can we go to the movies and take the kids to see a film that and when she saw it, when it was over, she goes, that, that was pretty good. And I said, I told you. It, it's a hell of a movie. I really do well, like it. Well, yeah. but I'm very, very, very attached to Tintin as a comics. I mean, I lived in Europe as a kid when that stuff was yeah. all over the place. I've got big, giant toys that cost me shitloads of money of Tintin that were bought in Paris for me uh, and all that. Matter of fact, I think you might have even seen the picture of me with that Tintin rocket ship that I posted last week. Oh, I think yeah. so, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, to me, uh, huge Spielberg successes later. I do think uh, Saving Private Ryan, I do think, well, this isn't really later. Schindler's List is somewhere in between. Um, Lincoln. Lincoln, I love. Lincoln was brilliant. Lincoln was fantastic. I have not seen, and I'm getting pissed off about it, Bridge of Spies. I've never seen it. Oh, I enjoyed the hell out of um, it. I did not like so much Catch Me If You Can. I was like, eh. Oh, I really like Catch Me If You Can. Bridge of Spies. I would love to see. I'd love to hear your take on that. I like that movie quite uh, a bit. But at the t- at the time it came out, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, it was okay." And I'm like, "I was wow, I was really caught up. I really enjoyed I, I think it. I'd probably like it. Uh, I would. I really wanted to see it. And there's one other one in that time period that um, uh, I either missed it. Man, what was? It? I still I still have not seen the post. Oh, I I've, I've watched that twice. That's pretty good. It's That's it's a hear. little it's, it's like Spielberg's kind of channeling uh what you uh what you call it um 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 all, all the presidents men Sidney Sidney kind of yeah all yeah. the presidents men which is is a great yeah. film so uh uh you know Spielberg hot 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 you know Jaws Raiders uh, Close Encounters uh and and this that and the other but then you know he trips uh tripped heavily with the last Indiana Jones film. Uh, I blame yeah. George Lucas a lot for a lot of that, but Spielberg should have said, "Look, goddamn it, I'm a director, and I think this is there's there's some shit here." But maybe maybe agreed with him. Yeah. I don't know. I actually don't 
dislike Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom as much as some people do. I actually... Oh, I, it's my second favorite of the Indiana Jones films. Um, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. What's your first favorite? Raiders. Yeah. You're, oh, my God. We really agree. This might make up for all the pain yeah. and suffering we just inflicted on each other for War of the Worlds. <laughs> Raiders. Well, Raiders have, we ne- have, we, have we never had this discussion of my, my feeling about the, the, the Indiana Jones films is... The best is first. Yeah. Then there's a slight decline into the second. Yeah. And there's a little decline into the third. And then there's a precipitous drop off to the fourth. So I love you. It's this. It's it's a it's a it's a straight line I down. I love you. you know? I love you. Let's. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the ring in the mail. <laughs> tell your girlfriend it's over. I'm, I'm coming, Sonny. I'm I'll coming, tell Beth. Baby. Yeah. No, it's but the over, thing man. is, is that is it for me? It's exactly the same thing. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark um, is a super masterpiece. I, I think yeah. it's 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 tight. It's clean. It isn't too expensive. It doesn't try to. There's nothing. No, this Raiders of the Lost Ark is Spielberg proving to the world, hey, I'm still that guy who brought you Jaws at Close Encounters, and. I'm also the guy that can do a a a an action picture, a an action picture that it, it, you know later will be getting everything R-rated like Die Hard, and I love Die Hard and all right. that, and, yeah. and these other films, uh, Aliens and all that. But but and Lethal Weapon movies and so. But I will I will give you a PG-rated action picture that will blow your mind. Yeah. And then you go to uh, uh, Temple of Doom, uh, has a few flaws. There's two two scenes in the film that I reject. As being mathematically impossible, but the rest. Well, of I understand. Yeah. And then you get to the next one, which, while most people elevate it either to being as good as Raiders, I, I it's know, not. I've known it's some people. I've known some people that that say it's even better than Raiders, including the woman I live with. Oh, you poor thing. Oh no, nay, hey, buddy, don't insult my woman. <laughs> but the thing is, is that. But I was actually on a panel one time at a convention, loaded up in a room with people, and this woman started telling me how wrong I was that that uh, uh, Last Crusade wasn't the best because that's easily the best one of them. And I said, there is. It's like, look, lady, just because you love Sean Connery doesn't make it the best Indiana Jones film. Well, Sorry. I mean, there's a bit of it. There's bits in there that that just. You know, they don't work. There's well, bits in it that don't work. It's, it's still a great. And it's got and it's and it's got the first moment in the in an Indiana Jones film that insulted me. What was that? We can't rely on the audience. We have to have Indiana Jones literally turn to camera and say, "Nazis, I hate these guys." No fucking shit, dude. Do you think that we needed that line in this fucking movie? Well, maybe, maybe given the time period, I could see it getting away because that, that word was still sort of fresh on people's lips at the time. But for me, the parts that 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 are that is that uh, Marcus, and this might be the fact that Denim Elliott was getting kind of sick at the time, uh, seemed a little. They did him doddering in the first film. He was so yeah. sharp and on, and in this film, well, he was sort of yeah, he was yeah, exactly. He was that almost was a, a comedy yeah. thing, and then when he sees Sean, they start doing their little their little clubhouse song it's together. A, it's a it's a little it's a little much. But there know. is some there is some absolute greatness in that movie, and that keeps it. And and I would say this: I would kill for movies at that level based on all the shit we get nowadays at the movie there. Because I I'd say that mm-hmm. there's so many films I hate now when I or I don't even watch them or I try to watch them later I see them and I, God it wasn't all that good, but I mean when when uh, when Sean Connery's uh, there and uh, and uh, Indy looks at him and he goes well she's a Nazi and he goes well, what do you mean she's a Nazi well she talks in her sleep and then Jones realizes that not only has he been sleeping with this woman but his dad has and then Sean does that Buck to Bucky Beaver smile that is 
freaking hilarious. There's some great, you know, oh, it's like, Dad, I guess we're going to talk now. Finally, no, the floor's on fire. You know, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, but yes, you you and I agree completely. Boom, boom, boom. Well, and the well, fourth listen, before, one, like, but we'll go back. The four, to, yeah, the fourth one's a mistake. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. The only thing I liked about it is that Jones and Jones and and Marion got together. I, but they but they so submarine the Marion character. It's embarrassing. They did, and and I will say that uh, 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 what's her face is the villain. She was good. The rest of it, Mutt was horrible. Oh yeah. The 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 ant the army ant scene the 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 swinging through the junk uh, stuff with the ropes. Well, what's shit. her face? Who's the actress that played the? Oh, Kate Blanchett. She's Kate Blanchett. She she's she's one of the highlights of the film. Uh, I was stunned that uh, both uh, John Hurt and uh, what's his face uh, Ray Weinstone were so terrible. They were boring. I know Ray Winstone is a great actor, and it's like I'm, I, if that's the only movie I ever saw him in, I would dismiss him completely. Yeah, it's like yeah. he's like I almost I almost want to like hand everybody a copy of Sexy Beast and go no 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 this guy can act go watch this movie. Yeah, I mean he he uh, so many movies I've watched him he's fantastic. Okay, we're gonna go back to 1941. Well, yeah, let's 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 wrap up 1941 because holy Jesus. crap, have we been talking for a while? Yeah, you just won't shut the fuck up. It's insane. You love it. <laughs> Well, one, la- one last little thing that I want to make note of, which is Dan Aykroyd's character, his name, the character's last name is Tree. And, of course, he is this upright, upstanding citizen right. who hates seeing Americans fight Americans. And I'm just like, well, they didn't name that character that for no reason. Right, right. right. You sneaky little bastards ain't getting doodly shit out of me except maybe my name, right, and social security number. Wood. Hollis P. Lumberjack, Social Security, 106-432185. Where Hollywood? Right here. What? You're looking at him. Who? Hollis Wood? Where? I'm right here. Shoot, can't you understand plain English? Hollywood. Huh? Where? Here! Look. Where Hollywood? Nose? Sauce? Oh, you want me to tell you where Hollywood is? Well, shoot, that's easy. Hollywood is right. Oh, no, you don't. You thought you was going to get me to show you where Hollywood was, didn't you? <laughs> Tried to sneak up on me like you did Pearl Harbor. Bet you're going to bomb John Wayne's house, ain't you? John Wayne? I knew it. I knew it. I ain't going to tell you one stinking thing. Why, you can torture me, do anything that you want to. Jesus, pal, I mean, a Nazi. I knew it. You're all in goods. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Heine Kraut. I fought your kind in the Great War, and we kicked the living shit out of you. Over there, over there, send the word, send the word over there that the Yanks are coming. Um, we need to talk. We need to talk miniature special effects. We've 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 Ooh, alluded to wonderful. a little bit of it. Uh, Greg Jean is the is the one person 
whose name uh, immediately pops into my head, but then he was also incredible in his work in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But there's a lot of guys that work on these films. It isn't it isn't him working in a bubble, but he's the the pinnacle person that that I that, that the name stands out. You've got a miniature amusement park. Uh, it's all lit up. There's movie marquee. There's a Ferris wheel. There's the building that powers the Ferris wheel. You've got the downtown of Los Angeles built. You've got a miniature from the mountains looking down at Los Angeles of millions of lights of all these uh, houses. You've got miniature planes chasing each other, miniature submarine. You've got all this kind of stuff. And while I will say Close Encounters, there's one problem in 1941, but it's a, a minimal one. Uh, for their miniatures because I think they really were reaching as far as you possibly could with miniatures at, at night and that is the fact that you have to compensate for it being dark by opening the aperture up on the camera and that yeah. uh, uh, that means that things are going to get softer quicker f- if there's distance between them there's an effect where light bounces around and actually softens it. That's why when we're kids in school, they teach us how to build pinhole cameras. You know what I'm talking about? You yes, punch indeed. a little hole in the box, and it's a perfect lens because the lens is so tiny. You don't have to have a lens on it. You just have to have the hole is that it makes a perfectly crystal clear picture because there, it is so tiny, that hole, that it projects onto the film. That is what happens in this. But in this case, they're filming uh, what are night shots, so they have to open it up. And so when they show the Ferris wheel, you know, starting to get blown up and all that kind of stuff, the bridge in front of it is slightly out of focus. That happens. Right. There's a little bit of that in the film. Other than that, these miniatures are unfrickin' believable. The buildings, the planes flying between the buildings, the the Ferris wheel breaking off of its uh, uh, off of its uh, cradle and rolling down the thing, which when it breaks off, that Ferris wheel gets hit by the Japanese uh, uh, bombardment and breaks free with uh, Murray Hamilton and Eddie Deason screaming on it. They don't get knocked off, which doesn't really make much sense. Because, but who gives a shit? You know, as it starts to roll down the pier and dump into the ocean, that Ferris wheel never touches the ground. It's being suspended by two wires. And it's just twirling on those wires, and all the dirt and dust that's flying up is from little air jets on the bridge that are pushing up already pre-built debris. <laughs> and then it goes into the water, and it's just, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. The little tanks coming through, you know, trying to get to the edge of the pier. It gets to the edge of the pier, starts firing at the at the Japanese sub, and the back of the bridge it collapses, and now it's rocking back and forth, firing, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, missiles isn't the right word. What am I th- uh, thinking of? What's, uh, what? Torpedoes. Are, what, what, torpedoes in a sub. What's in a, in a, in a tank? Uh, oh, you mean the, the, the shells. The shells, firing shells at it, and it's rocking back and forth until miraculously when the Japanese finally do hit it, hit the hit the bridge with one of their torpedoes, the, 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 the tank goes into the water, and luckily for a contain, such a contained tank, everybody dumps out of that one little hole into the ocean and nobody drowns. <laughs> but it's a comedy, so you're supposed to leave it. You go with it. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Belushi's plane, you know, flying back out over the ocean and getting hit with the with the gun and everything. That is as big a star in this movie as the actors. It's a, it's amazing stuff, and it's I, I, it's not really the tail end of that kind of stuff, but it is one of the last of the I mean, just huge 
miniature special effects extravaganzas. Yeah, this level. yeah, you're right. Um, I, I think that uh, we're we're in a we're like, this this comes to that year, 1979, uh, Star Trek the motion picture. While there is some motion control stuff in it and stuff, it's still miniatures. There's no CGI. Yeah. Um, I don't think you really get the CGI uh, in in use in film until about the abyss, right? And then and then after that, uh, Terminator Two and Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's the late '80s before you get to even just the early CGI stuff that where they were very careful with it because they could only make certain things look worth a shit, like that water tentacle. Yeah, yeah and then you um, uh, and then you get into the very beginnings of it, which they they get around the fact that it's still fairly new by creating a film like Tron, which is saying we are in the computer. This is a computer graphics, still a still a very cool looking movie, but. We're still talking about nuts and bolts, hand-built miniatures, uh, and every little trick in the book gets thrown at it to make this thing look good. And um, it's it's incredibly impressive. I still find when I watch a modern film, let's say you did this film today. Let's say you did 1941. Nobody had ever heard of it. It had never been done. You take this exact script and you film it with whoever the new big comedy actors are, Will Ferrell and everybody else. But you And you do all of those scenarios in CGI. The movie would, for me, it would be a snooze fest. Yeah, it would not have nearly the impact, nearly the effect, because there's just something insanely tangible about these miniatures. Now, and remember, folks, if when we're saying miniatures, this is not something you could hold in your hand effectively. These, when we say miniatures, we're saying that they were. You know, I'm sure the Ferris wheel was roughly five or six feet across, but that's still a shitload smaller than yes. you know an actual Ferris wheel, which is what we're talking about here. These things are detailed. They're effective. They are perfectly lit. The the yep. pure hell of of miniatures is you have to work your ass off yep. to get them lit in a way that make them look like there's something reality based about. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. And, that they and you'll still have film. people that will still use miniatures. I was kind of shocked when oh, yeah. I watched a documentary on Peter Jackson's King Kong as to how much how many miniatures were actually used in that film. The jungle, they brought in micro plants that look like full trees and then put them on this fake mountainsides and then we're blowing fans across it to give them that look. And I thought, well, I thought everything in that movie was going to be CGI, but there was a lot of miniatures, but that's rare. But, but, but nowadays they'll use miniatures. They'll use practicals knowing that they can enhance it later on with CGI. And you have that practical thing to base your CGI movement upon making the CGI not, not look like CGI to a large degree, which is great. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, for me, if you're a fan of movie special effects, you absolutely need to watch this film. If you've never seen oh, it before, yeah. you know, um, I know I'll watch it many, many more times before I'm I, I sh- sh- shuttle off or shuffle off this mortal coil. It's it's a it's a film I never get tired of, and I will say just a, one more point before we uh, before we get out of this. There is no more absurd moment in a film ever. In my entire in my entire life of watching movies, than the hilarious driving the tank through the paint factory and then <laughs> yeah, driving yeah, yeah. it through the turpentine factory. Yeah, that to me is exact. That is 1941 in a nutshell. That to we're me going to do something. We're going to do something absurd, so completely, uh, uh, so completely over the top and absurd, and then we're gonna 
top it, and then the movie's going to continue. Yeah, and then and and what they do too is they go into the paint factory and they have every color of the spectrum in giant yes. bats. Um, that reminds and, and, and in the middle of the night, there's like a, like there's like what forty workmen at the place. Well, it's a twenty four hours establishment. But the thing <laughs> is, is that that reminds me in a, in a way when I first saw it, and even to this day, still reminds me a bit of Jonathan Winters fighting those two gasoline station attendants, and it's a mad, 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 mad world where they're going through the <laughs> yes. walls. Or but this was like very short, much shorter, and a hell of a lot more anarchy in a very short space of time. Yep. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we love it. We don't apologize for it. If you love it, we love you. If you don't love <laughs> it, uh, we still love you. But just don't tell. Nineteen forty-one. One of my favorite comedies of all time. I love it. I probably it's 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 in my collection, and I probably own twenty comedies. It's always been in my collection. So yeah, I guess I love it a hell of a lot too. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mr. Maddox, do you have anything uh, that you've been working on? I should probably should have asked this at the beginning. Do you have anything you've been working on that uh, you can uh, let the uh, wider public know about? I um, have just worked on a uh, a poster for Joshua Kennedy's new movie, which I will oh, allow cool. him to announce soon. Uh, a few more Blu-ray covers are on the way. Uh, the Kolchak, uh, I just did the uh, uh, for Kino, oh, yeah. Kino Lorber, I did the cover for the uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker television series. Um, I'm yeah, very proud that. of that. Excellent. I feel Excellent like stuff. I've come home. I mean, for all the, the you know, the one comic book cover and the four, four or so novels of Kolchak I've done, uh, I went ahead and just sent that, the, the package of all four or five of those to Kino Lorber, and they're like, uh, yeah, okay, you can do the cover. So, uh, and, and, uh, you know, they pretty much, uh, went with what I, what I came right out of the gate with. Um, cool. I've got, uh, uh, more magazine covers and stuff that I'll, I'll be doing. Let me see. Here's a damn list. Um, I've got an action, some action adventure uh, uh, covers uh, similar to the old, uh, kind of a little bit in the vein of the old destroyer, uh, Remo Williams sort of uh, 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 book books that I'm doing covers for and Excellent. doing pencil commissions. Got a, got a thing I'm going to be doing for Monster Bash, a, a cover for them soon. Uh, and more stuff for We Belong Dead magazine. Um, I'm, I'm busy as hell. I will say this. I've never been busier. I've never had more work ever. So cool, it's man. good. Cool. Things, are, th- things are going very well. Well, Mr. Maddox, it has been too long. I'm glad we uh, we finally got, sat down and talked, although it did take us a while to uh, bash away at Zoom and Skype and finally make noise come through things. Uh, thank you once again for doing this, bud. Well, I appreciate it, and I think uh, you and I were talking before the show started. Uh, we, we're going to talk here in the next week or so about what our next... We need. We, you and I need to do more because I've had more people complaining to me that you and I don't do enough together. <laughs> So, well, I think I think we I think we may have spoiled them last year when we did so many. How many did we do? Two. Last year, dude, yeah. we did like seven. No, we didn't. Oh hell, yes, we did, dude. <laughs> All right, you sent me that list. Maybe the okay, last two years we did seven. Oh come on, you, you're telling me you cannot remember these things. I mean, oh, we'll we'll is, wait for one this. Or, this one or this two. makes my heart hurt, man. All right. This, well, this, when we end this episode, you and I are going to take our take a few minutes, unless you've got to go go to bed. Okay, listen. Terror is a man. Okay, one. Murders in the room org. Murders. In, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. X the unknown. Yeah. The mummy shroud. Yeah. 
uh, Twins of Evil. Yeah. And the Doctor uh, Who. Django. Django. Uh, Doctor Who Inferno. Oh, uh, wow. What else? We Shit. We, is that was all Doctor last year? No, yeah, Doctor, Doctor No and From Russia with Love. Uh, unless I'm forgetting one, yeah. Wow, I stand corrected. Now that you know, but but you know what? I still, I still, I'm going to flip this now. Okay. Okay. What the fuck are we waiting this long? It's July. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Oh, I have I, no idea. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, people in the audience. When we hang up from our thing, we're still going to talk for a few minutes. We're going to come up with another episode because <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. I mean, we we you know. I got people uh, telling it they love hearing us together, so we're gonna we're gonna work one out. If if we we'll don't work, work it out, out tonight, we'll work one out this week, and we'll be so, back. So, uh, folks, folks, just yeah. imagine us rubbing one out. I mean, sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, uh, no, no, no. If you have any any suggestions for uh, anything about the show, remember the uh, email address is uh, thebloodypit at gmail We'd love to hear from you, Mark. Thank you once again for being on the show. I appreciate it. I don't think we were mean enough to each other this this time, though. Eh, there were a few moments. I think I think that we, I think that we may have we may have softened as we've gotten older. <laughs> I, I got nothing to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> I left the door open wide for you, and you just stood I'm there staring the at it. I'm letting the audience deal with that one. Rodney has yeah. softened. <laughs> See you later, man. All right, buddy. Take care. Boys, go upstairs to your room. Don't come down until I call you. Hey, you're ruining Christmas. Lighting it up! Too much. Which one do I pull? The one on the right. No, the one on the left. Wait, 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 wait. Douglas, don't you dare fire that gun in this
Star. 